We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events. We're always writing articles. But when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy, soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. It's Kel Dansby here with old man Andreas Hale. Right now, I'm no longer sweating my balls off. My AC unit broke. And for a good day and a half in this 108 degrees Vegas weather, I had no AC. Of course, it happens when my kids come um, for the summer, too. So we're just in here sweating. I look like a UFC welterweight right now. But it's time to rehydrate, get going, you know, perform like I usually do. I feel the AC kicking in right now. So I'm feeling good, Dre. How's your day? 
Um, it's hot, man. That's all I got to say. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, you're hot. I was hot as hell in here. My thermostat reached to 89 degrees. Oh, that's no good. Not, like, not on the end In the crib. In the crib. It was almost better outside because there was a breeze. Yeesh. Yeah. I mean, we were two seconds from just going, jumping in the pool to keep cool. It, it was uh, it was quite interesting. So um, it's nice to have that behind me. The AC dude was cool. I joked on Twitter that I was going to have to give him a Kenny Omega V-trigger for showing up late. But when he got here, he did his thing, so I can't complain. Sheesh. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, so that's that's crazy. But two days off of work for me because of it. And, you know, it's a nice little relaxing. Just go to work again at the station tomorrow, so I feel, I feel nice. I watched Kenny Omega versus um, Okada 4. Again today, I had to show my daughter that. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, but man, I could watch that every day. It hasn't gotten old to me yet. Man, it's such a good match. Yeah, we, we're, we're going to talk real in depth. I know a few people on Twitter asked us to talk about New Japan. So, yeah, you're going to get it. And later on in this episode, you're also going to get me explaining why this is the worst storytelling in like the last 20 years for the WWE. So, we'll talk about that. But we got so much other stuff to talk about. Crazy. Let's start, uh, let's start in hip hop. And get this out of the way. I guess it's out of the social conscious right now. Drake goes back to Degrassi and the beef is over. Like, to me, we knew the beef was over last week, right? We talked about Jay Prince. We talked about all that. But now the beef is forgotten. It's like, oh, look at Drake's new video. Oh, it's Degrassi again? No harm, no foul. Pusha T beef never happened. And it's like this album and, and the video and the mainstream aspect of Drake has just wiped everything clean. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of how it works. I kind of mentioned it with the whole Kanye thing. I mean, Kanye did... If you put distance between your transgressions and your album, you're all right. And that's what Kanye did. Like Kanye said all the crazy stuff, and then it was album time, and people were like, oh, Kanye's a genius, and completely forgot about everything else. I blame all of this on Rick Ross, because Rick Ross was like the first rapper to have a blatant lie that he was getting called out upon for being a fed well being a ceo um and then you know he just ignored it and moved on and then people was like man he makes really good music it's like hip-hop has become sports entertainment like not even pro wrestling sports entertainment because <laughs> the two don't go together Pusha just came out with this lethal diss basically accusing drake of abandoning his child and talking about colorism issues and then Jay Pristep says, like, this is not a good idea, which is the wise thing to do because he knows how big Drake is. And at this point, you wait, you don't say anything because what is there really going to what can you really say that's not going to reignite the fire with, unless you just drop music? He's back in the album promo mode. So everybody's going to forget about this. It's not like anybody's going to not listen to Drake's album after this. So those hardcore heads like myself, yeah, we're going to remember it. But is it going to affect Drake in the long term? Not really. It's incredible. It didn't affect him in the short term. No one's yeah. even like, yo, he lost. Or like, everyone's just like, oh, there was a beef. What happened there? And then it's just like, oh, oh, well, Scorpion's coming out. It's like, what? Yeah, it, dude. It's not even talked about in the cycle anymore. It, Degrazzi upstaged one of the best rap beef diss tracks we've had in the past decade. And we got wiped clean by Degrazzi, a Degrazzi reunion. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 he just ignored it. And that was probably the best thing he could possibly do. Because you saw what happened to Meek Mill. He kept engaging, and it kind of it killed him for a second. But Meek's one of the most beloved figures in hip-hop still. 
So it's like none of this stuff ever really matters anymore. It's not like the 90s when um, Boss got called out for being a fake gangster and her career was over. Or like KRS-One, like, yeah, I mean, like there were career-ending disses back then. Like ja, 50 Cent ended Ja Rule's career. That's like <laughs> the last time we heard somebody's career getting ended in hip-hop. But it doesn't happen anymore. Social media is creating an atmosphere where everybody's touchable. Like you could talk to anybody about anything. Everybody's got a voice. Sure, there's going to still be people on social media talking about, oh, Drake didn't respond. But the masses that care about Drake, they don't even really care. I mean, it took a long time for the mainstream publications to even figure out who Pusha T was. So that, that's to say that all Drake has to do is put out a great album and then all is forgiven. Like if you put out a bad album, yeah, yeah maybe they'll trash you then. But if it's, if it's great, people forget all about this. I remember the grudge people held when there was a, I guess in the air, people were saying LL Cool J defeated Cannabis. That, and, see, that never happened. And, I don't and, it, and it didn't. It was just fame. LL Cool yeah. J's fame and name allowed him to win. But that wasn't a, a win in general. Like it, it doesn't count. There should be some type of at least public ridicule. I saw a little bit of it. I was laughing a little bit. Like, Drake, you know, Pusha T sent Drake running back to the Grazi. But if you even click on those tweets, everyone's like, Pusha T who? His album's gone already. No one's even talking about his album. And it dropped to And it's just like, what? Like, the backlash. This had the most, you know, face heel turns I've seen in a very, very long time. Because people aren't committed to anything. And that's the bigger thing here is, like, people canceled Kanye. And I use Kanye as an example because people, like, literally... We're like, oh, it's over. I'm never listening to Kanye. And now people tonight are in tears waiting for this Nas album. So, it, like, and I put more pressure on, on Kanye's solo album because it's a little bit different when you're producing and you're behind the scenes, you're not really promoting. But, like, the Kanye solo album, that Ye album, which I will continue to say is trash. Still trash. There are, there are people like, this is amazing. And, oh, man, he's just bipolar. Like, bi bipolar is not a reason for you to be a dumbass. Like, it, it doesn't apply. And people who talk about mental health, some people don't even know what mental health is. They just say, oh, I'm sad, so I'm suffering from depression. That's not how it works. But whatever's going on with Kanye, we canceled him as a community, so-called cancel. I don't believe in it because we don't really do it. Nobody's ever really canceled. So like Drake losing this battle, we're not committed to canceling Drake or we're not committed to saying, man, it's over. I'm not listening to your music anymore. Nobody's doing that. It's like, oh, man. You know what? It's like the, uh, the dog and up. When he sees a squirrel, he's like, squirrel. <laughs> That's kind of what hip-hop is right now. It's, it's exactly like that. It's, if you put a shiny object on the other side of things and make people turn their head, they'll forget about what they were looking at in the first place. We got, man, ADD is so real right now. Incredible. And it's, it, it doesn't matter. Like I didn't care either way because I was looking forward to Drake's album. I've said that from the beginning. Um, I wanted to hear him respond, but from a business standpoint, I completely understand what happened here. Um, and I get it. But yeah, man, other people that are going to be like, yo, what happened? And they're going to still buy Drake's album. So there's that. That shit's crazy. I remember in the 90s when people tried to cancel Tommy Hilfiger because there was that rumor that he didn't like black people or something. Yeah, it wasn't even real. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that shit didn't work either. Remember, Aaliyah just went mad Tommy Hilfiger and people were on it. And then I remember a greater time when Jay-Z was on top of this, this game and we could actually cancel shit. T-Pain still hasn't recovered from Death of Auto-Tune. And they didn't even have beef. Yeah. Jay-Z canceled the whole shit, the whole Auto-Tune movement. Everyone's wearing jerseys, which were fly and dope. Jay-Z canceled that whole shit, tells people to get a button up. 
the NBA changed the dress code. It's like, crazy, like man. It, yeah. Man, shit, once upon a time, I, I'll tell the youth of today, these young whippersnappers that dye their hair pink and purple, there was once a time where you couldn't do this shit. A grown man would have came out and said, look at your clown ass and canceled the whole movement. Those days are no longer there. We will talk about grown ass people championing it just and pushing this young whippersnapper movement here in a second. I almost forgot about it. I ain't going to let it rock. But before we get there, let's talk about another beef. Takashi 69 and Chief Keef. And I've been bumping Takashi 69 for like the past two weeks. If you haven't seen it on my Twitter, it is my my guilty pleasure right now that he is a wild dude and I he's not lyrical at all. But his music is kind of banging if you just turn it up to like level 100. So Takashi 69, Chief Keef beef. Takashi 69 brings out the baby mama. And is parading Chief Keef's baby mama around New York City. He went to Chief Keef's old block in Chicago, which I don't understand why people would assume Chief Keef still lives there. He's made enough money to not live on the block he grew up on and, and risk getting shot. But nonetheless, Takashi 69 said he went there at 10 p.m. He's like, nobody's out here. He's running amok. Chief Keef gets shot at in New York. Somebody's going to die at this shit, right? Like, we've reached this point in their hip-hop beef. Yeah, first of all, I'm disappointed in you that you've been listening to Takashi69 for all this time. Um, <laughs> there's no defense for this. Ugh. His videos aren't that bad. Gross. Um, second, yeah, this has gone too far. First and foremost, listen, man, if a dude, like, took out some old chick that I used to mess with, but I don't really mess with her like that anymore, I wouldn't care. Like, ba- taking my baby <laughs> mama shopping, it's like, yo, make sure you get my baby some diapers, too. Like, <laughs> really... For me, I, I, unless Chief Keef is still with her or hanging out with her, this this level it's not really it's not it's like a non it's, it's non starter for me. Take out my uh, old friend, like I don't care, but but it's like but you're flaunting it, and it's like for somebody like Chief Keef, there's there's legit beef here, and I think Takashi sixty nine thinks it's play play, and Chief Keef is embedded in this culture of Chicago where they don't play. So yeah. and it's, even and it's if Keith is playing, there's a uh, hundred people on the streets that aren't playing at all. And that was going to be my point. Just like Biggie and Pac, it's not the two artists. And even like Trump, it's not Trump. It's the people that support Trump. It's the people that support Chief Keith. It's the people that support Takashi Sixty Nine who are going to end up getting somebody hurt bad. Um, and it's it sucks, man, because like this, I'm only I won't pay this any mind. I won't write about it. I don't want nothing to do with promoting this at all. I won't retweet it. Like, you'll never see me say anything about this because I don't promote any of this. And, and But we're, we, everybody's a voyeur. Everybody's trying to look and everybody's just watching and waiting for somebody to die. Well, then when they die, what happens? Yeah. Like, what, feel guilty <laughs> about that because you watched it happen. Um, but that's why I keep my distance, man. It's, it's gone too far. Like, I try to pay it no attention, but the music journalist in me was like, all right, let me take a look. And I looked and I was like, this is dumb. Like, somebody's really going to get hurt. And they really? and, over nothing, over really nothing. Because what are they beefing about? I, that's a very good question. Like it's to the point where I'm not sure if anyone knows how this started. This is this is a Justin Ivy question. This is something we got we got to ask him when we run into him. I, I don't know what started this beef, but I know it's escalated and yeah. it's gotten to to ludicrous levels now. What's incredible is you said you wouldn't care. You've never had any ex beef, is what you're telling. Like like, like no. No craziness. I I refuse mm-hmm. to believe that. No, like for me, like once I'm done, I'm done. Like if if you want to, have they always that? been done with you? Yeah. Oh, oh shit! You're lucky. 
So I mean, an ex I mean, never okay, just okay. went wild and just tried to just blow yeah, up your spot or after the new chick. That I mean, I've had that get back attempt, but when you pay it no mind, it goes away. Like I'd be like, yo, I don't care. You look stupid. Here's my new girl. So it's like I, I never there was never really anything truly attached to that to where it could really bother me. Because I was always on to the next back then. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I didn't have that problem. So it's like, if I had a quote-unquote baby mama out there and some dude who had beef with me is like, yo, I'm taking her out. I'm like, I got all these other women. Like, Especially on Chief Keef. I'm not, okay, fine. You're spending your money. Like, you're flaunting your money. So? Like, what is that supposed to mean to me? I don't, I don't understand. Like, maybe somebody else can explain it. It's another level just that your baby mommy's around your kid. I don't dark whatever this is just a, some video that you're doing to try to piss me off listen i'll see you but i'm over it i try to stay out of the pettiness i'm not one for that personally like i'm not i don't care like, I'm, I'm much like you i don't care if someone takes my baby mama out it's like cool like i i don't i don't want to take her out god bless like you're a problem now yeah, good um, luck. <laughs> yeah like that's that's my attitude on that but i have been in a petty situation or two in my life and that shit does get disrespectful and is wildly crazy. I'll tell you one. Um, when me and my ex-wife split and that shit was a fiasco in itself. But it led to me moving to back to Las Vegas from college in Kansas in like the matter of two days. So I, I moved back to Vegas. I have a girlfriend in Vegas at that time. Don't ask how this shit all pops off. But I have a girlfriend back in Vegas at the time. She flies me back out to Vegas. So I'm here. You know, I'm chilling, staying with my best friend at the time, and my girlfriend's like picking me up every day. And I think what really bothered my ex was that my girlfriend at the time was very well off. And like, so she picked me up in like a BMW, and I'm like, just hate snapping pictures and shit, throwing it on a gram. Um, it's just super petty, it's like stupid shit. So, like, the week after, my girlfriend was like, Oh, I'm surprised you with these tickets. And I was like, oh, we're we going to watch this show. She's like, don't worry about it. So I thought it was a show here in Vegas. No, she bought me Joe Budden tickets. Picked me up. We drove to L.A. Like that day. Drove to L.A. And went and watched Budden in like some theater in Hollywood. And it was right after She Don't Put It Down Like You came out and some other shit. So I take the picture of the tickets and like my trip to L.A. And my ex is just blowing up my phone, blowing up my phone. And I'm ignoring it. I have to have 100 missed calls and text messages by the time I get to L.A. So she's tight. And I'm just like, yo, fuck it. She, she worked for a phone company at the time. Um, she no longer does. So I can share this shit. She can't get fired. So she worked at a phone company at the time. She went in, found my new girlfriend's phone number, blew her up. Like, at this point, we're at the concert. She's blowing her up nonstop. My ex-girlfriend's like, I'm like, yo, Jesse, no, I turn your phone off. She's like, no, hold on. She answers it. And I think we have FaceTime by this point. Face Puts her on FaceTime. If not, it was just like the, the audio. When Joe Budden's performing OLS 3, and if you guys haven't listened to Ordinary Love Shit Part 3, it's like incredible breakup song. Listen to that shit. But she puts it on the phone, and is filming us just chilling and going crazy and Joe Budden rapping this song and my ex is losing her fucking marble she goes she cuts off my phone like into into her database she cuts off my phone and my new girlfriend's phone like fucks up our whole plans to the point I think we had to get brand new plans 
Like it, it was crazy while we we're out of town. And I was just like, yo, but I was so happy to have my new girl just stun on her. I was like, fuck it. It's worth it. And that's where I feel like Takashi feels now where it's like, yo, this shit doesn't make sense. And it's probably going to lead to much larger repercussions because the other person's not going to take this well. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm happy, right? Now. Like I was, I thought it was the dopest shit ever that my new girlfriend would answer, put my ex on the phone and be like, look, it's been like a week and I've taken him to a Joe Budden concert. We're chilling. Listen to these words. That shit was still one of the dopest things I've seen. Uh, that shit was funny. Led to a whole crazy thing after that. Nonetheless, me and my girlfriend weren't together after like three or four months due to ongoing harassment by my ex. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, that that moment in time, that level of petty, I, I loved it. Nothing's better than two women just out pettying each other. Yeah, depends on what side of that, that deal you're on. And, I, was, uh, I mean, I was caught in the middle. I ended up with, with very little after that situation. Um, but shout out to them for like, you know, going at it. That shit... That shit was real, real life, like, loving hip-hop type shit. And I was all for it. All for it. Uh, at least my next thing. Yo, we need to really get a journalist of hip-hop show started. Or let's just get, like, a, a journalist of Las Vegas show started. You in? Can, can I make this I mean, pitch? Sure. We, we know enough of us. Okay. We get Akimoto. We got to pitch it to him. He's in town. He's young enough. Uh, Big Mac, Ryan McKinnell, friend of podcast, doing radio. Me, you, we got four characters right there. You, they can see you old man brunching and shit. They can see me chilling on strip clubs and weeknights. Yeah, I, I just I, don't think my life is that interesting, but all right. I think people, I think you shortchange your life. I mean, you're, granted, you're up at, you know, 2.30 a.m. with a toddler, but that shit could be fun. And, you, and you're brunching. The half the experience is taking weird people like me along with you brunching. And that's what they force on these shows. They'd be like, yo, you can't just go to Napa by yourself anymore, Dre. The whole cast has to go to Napa. Yeah, see, I'll just be... And then you'd be there like, yo, Kel is fucking wild, man. Like, what is, what's going on here? Can't, can't leave this guy home. Yeah, I'd just be overwhelmingly irritated at a certain <laughs> point. Like, I'm, this is ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, you know, We're gonna if make people the want it, I'll give it to them. Sure. Corner Club, we got to champion this idea. Somebody knows a producer somewhere. This, this is what we got to do. We need a show. It's getting to that point. Um, so that's my, my story of level of petty. And that's where Takashi 6 9 is. But it's a sign of the times. And we saw that when I realized I was old as hell the other day. And not just because my teenage daughter is here and acting like a teenager. I noticed I was old as hell because I did not know one person on the double XL cover. Oh, boy. Not one. Dre, you gave me a recommendation for one kid. I got to go listen to his music this weekend. Outside J.I.D., of, yes. And even yes. he has red hair, right? Or my buddy? No, no, no. no. He's, he's he, tattoos? He, looks like, he got something. He's got a few tattoos, but he, he doesn't look like... He's, one of these things don't look like the other. He's that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, J.I.D. is incredibly dope. He's uh, you know part of J. Cole's crew uh, label, and um, he makes dope music. But everybody else? Is he the light-skinned one with the cap in it, goatee? No, he's the one. If you look at the double XL cover, he's the one that looks like they forced him into the picture. He's oh, up by I the got double. It. Yeah, top left. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, "Why are they making me do this shit?" Yeah, that's him. Um, and he's incredibly talented. As for everybody else on that thing, they all look. I think uh, my my man Frank 
FWMJ, for those who uh, follow him on Twitter, he did like the Little Brother album cover and Questlove shirts and shit like that. Um, he said they look like the similar size of the same dice. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest <laughs> thing because they all look the same. They all they all have you know t- face tattoos and colored hair, and all their music sucks from what I've heard. Like the stuff that I've heard, I don't think anybody on there except for JID has impressed me. I don't know who this I, chick is, but she looks like Nicki Minaj light. I mean, dude, dude, look, the point of the point being, like, there's been the conversation that hip hop blogs are dead, right? Magazines aren't too far behind, and they haven't been too far behind for a long time. It's all about SoundCloud, which is strange. Um, but Double XL, the freshman list, once upon a time, it carried weight when it had Lupe and Saigon and Schoolboy Q and J Rock, and the list goes on and on in their early, uh, in their early stages. Now, there is no guaranteed success if you land on the Double XL cover. They're 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 striking out more than they're hitting home runs with these guys now. They're just pull, trying to find people, and you know, I mean, I'm kind of surprised. Like I looked at that cover, I didn't see Joyner Lucas, which I was a little surprised about, um, for instance. But they, I don't know what their formula is for even picking people, because once upon a time, the magazine was the tastemaker. Yeah. The magazine was the one to tell you what to listen to. It took you years to get on the XL cover. People would be legit known for four years. And then end up on the cover. Like yeah, Crooked but, Eye and fucking um, Joel was on it one year. Big Sean was on it one year. But we had heard them for four years already. Yeah. So, but I mean, now it's come to the point where... Your SoundCloud's popping for six months. Let's go. Well, it's not just that. It's that the people are dictating who should be on the XXL cover. Like, and based off of how many SoundCloud listens they have or how many streams. And it has nothing... There's no such thing as a tastemaker anymore. I've, I've said this a billion times before. You know, once upon a time, as a music journalist, you had access nobody else had. When you had the album months before other people had a chance to hear it, now we all get to hear it at the same time. So the fact that Double XL is just kind of riding the wave, it takes away from them being tastemakers. It takes away. It, it basically says we're just telling you what you should already know. That these are your favorite. Uh, these are your most streamed artists, and it's a flawed equation. It's completely flawed, but. It leads to nothing. It mean it, it, the record labels aren't looking at that couple. It's like, yo, we need to sign him. They already know they're gonna probably sign him or not. They already <laughs> made up their minds. So it's like, I no, the, the cover came out. I didn't write anything about it because I didn't care. I, I was like, yo, JID's on there. That's dope because the kid is really dope. He had a really great album last year or the year before. But other than that, I don't give a shit. That's a damn shame when you don't want to write about it. Mm-mm. Nope. No thank you. You write about everything. I do. In your, one of your million jobs. You can't even get you to write about the double XL list. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't see too many people who like it. It's a change, a changing of the guard. We're becoming old men. You've been an old man. I'm becoming middle-aged, Kel, here in a second. And that it's crazy, crazy to realize that this is what's hot now. Like, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. In the middle of the cover. Like... Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I am blown away by that. Um, let's talk combat sports, though, because young kids will have me twisted in a pretzel. Combat sports, busy weekend last weekend for us, busy weekend again this week. Uh, man, it, where should we even start? Let's, let's start with boxing. I feel like this has actually been a pretty good weekend for boxing. As far as news, um, the caliber of fights, fights coming up. It's finally on an uptick. People are talking about it. It's on mainstream sites, and it's it's in the consciousness again, which is good. Um, something I thought was going to happen anyway. Let's start with 
Floyd Mayweather. Everything starts and ends with Floyd Mayweather. It, it just, it is what it is, Dre. And Mayweather tops the Forbes list. Yeah. With over $250 million after a retirement to come back for one fight. Why, yeah. why is he retired? Why, why doesn't he just fight once a year? He fought against cool. someone who isn't a boxer and made a quarter of a billion dollars. What's the incentive to retire? Well, because you're not going to make that money if you fight a lot. Like Floyd Mayweather's had mastered the art of supply and demand, where it's like, you know, if I don't like boxing has it real bad now. It's like, just, just let him fight two years. Bad idea. But Floyd's case, it's like he made those things events. And if you fight a lot, they're not events anymore. Also, Floyd doesn't really care about boxing anymore. I kind of I reported this during the Birdo camp where I sat down and I was talking to Floyd. And I could just – it's one of those things where you can kind of sense when somebody's really tired of doing something. And Floyd is truly tired of boxing. Like, he's just over it. He'd rather move on, live his life. I mean, dude, he's, what, 41? So he could care less. So, yeah, he made a ton of money beating up somebody who's never fought before. Like, it was a gift. Like, that fight should have never happened. But it did. It made him a boatload of money. And he's not interested in fighting. Like, who, who can he fight in boxing that's going to make him a lot of money? Um, besides, like, a Canelo rematch? No one, right? Exactly. The so, Canelo so- rematch would be the biggest paycheck he could get. Uh, he can't fight none of the young guys. One, because that's a, a th- true threat on losing. So you really can't do that. And then, what, Pacquiao's out of the cycle now? Yeah, that's it. Like, you're not going to fight anyone unpopular opinion, not to pull out my glasses Malone goggles, but Adrian Broner might sell a bit. Uh, but not but, enough. But that's You know it. what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it, it'll be hard to get 250. You get 100. Yeah, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, you want to create an event, and that's what Floyd has done. Even if he's not recognized as the greatest boxer of all time, he'll be recognized as one of the, the biggest boxers of all time because of what he's accomplished as a businessman. So oh, he's the biggest boxer of all time. I think he's, yeah. he's, he ran laps around people. Well, he's not bigger than Muhammad Ali. But financially, he's the oh, biggest boxer of all okay. time. Okay, I, I give you that. Just because social impact and, and yeah. so on and Everything. so forth. I mean, Muhammad Ali will forever be recognized as the greatest fighter of all time. I mean, one of the greatest individuals, period. Yeah. Floyd will never be recognized as one of the greatest individuals. No, he's, just, I, I doubt it's going to be a long time before someone surpasses him in terms of earnings. Yeah, so that so there it is. It's like, all right, he made like on this list, he made more than number two and number three, which is Lionel Messi and I want to say it was Neymar. Yeah, more, sounds he, right. He made more than them combined. Is how much Floyd made, and then Connor came in at fifth at ninety nine million, and it was like I, I, ahead of LeBron, ahead of Steph, ahead of, of some really notable names. Federer. It's it's crazy, but that's like. Combat sports is still relatively a niche sport, right? It's not like seasonal. You know, every fight's not a big fight, but those big fights will always be the biggest thing in sports, period. Because you don't know when they're going to happen, and there's nothing like watching two people beat the shit out of each other. So when they happen, they're huge events, and Conor versus Floyd was unprecedented. Um, And it's again, boxing is one of those things where everybody thinks they know what they're talking about, but don't nobody know shit, which is the reason why people talked about Conor beating Floyd, which is utterly ridiculous. But there was so much interest, it made all this money. Yeah, Floyd's not fighting again. You know, talk about MMA, it better be like a billion dollars. But otherwise, (laughs) there's really no reason for him to step back in there. He cleaned house and Sarah Sarah, peace out. Like, and he he basically got y'all. Because he suckered a bunch of people into thinking this was going to be actually competitive. 
It's crazy. What's incredible is you break down the Conor McGregor numbers in comparison to the rest of the UFC and UFC fighters and what you and what they even think is possible. It's if you go by the 99 million, it is 0.001% of that is now $99,000, which is more than most people make in the UFC for a fight, for one fight. It's if you're not a champion, it's average 100k, around 100k for your fight. You for one fight, you make 0.001% of what Conor made in one fight. If you want to go to just 0.01, that's a million dollars, damn it. How about this? That's the largest UFC payout outside of Brock Lesnar and what? And GSP. Connor has made just 100% of that. In one fight, incredible. He never has to fight again, and I hate it. I, I said throughout the whole process, he'd fight again. He'd go back for the love of it, blah, blah, blah. And you said, no, we may never see him again. When you look at the numbers in the breakdown, and to see Conor McGregor, even at his greatest paycheck in the UFC, would have to fight... 18 times to make what he made in one night against I mean, I, Floyd Mayweather. He damn near have to fight and win 18 times to keep the buzz, to keep that amount of money, to keep himself at that zenith, to make the exact total he fought for in boxing one night against Mayweather. We may never see him again. That's money if you go into MMA. That's just mind-blowing. And if you reach that, you'd be like, I'm out. Shit, you reach 10 million MMA. You're like, yo, I succeeded. I'm one of the greatest ever. A hundred million? There's no reason to fight. Well, I'll take it a step further. That 99 million, without actually sitting down and doing the math, and maybe somebody will do it, is probably more than the entire payroll for the UFC for every fight last year. Oh, easily. Easily. Combined. I, I mean, all, all those cards, every fighter does not equal what Conor made in 30 minutes. A half an hour and ended up getting knocked down in a sport that he's never competed in. And I, that's what I said. Like, how do you bring him back? Even if you do bring him back, even if Conor says, I want to fight, he don't really want to fight. Let's be honest here. Khabib Nurmagomedov wants to fight Yeah, because he's still hungry. And I think they Conor, will fight. Those two will Conor, fight. He doesn't have to fight. Those two will look, look, fight. I'm not so sure about this. The more that I think about it, the more, like, if you peel Conor McGregor off the street right now and put him in octagon against Khabib Nurmagomedov, I'd pick Khabib right now. I would pick Khabib I, from the onset, but we know that. But, but the point, the point being is that I don't think Conor's hungry. Because what can the UFC pay him to say, man, that, that makes me get off my ass. Like, 20 million is not even, like, 20 million? That's not even enough. In his head, I can guarantee you kind of sitting there is like, I made $100 million for 30 minutes. I'm going to go into the sport where I can possibly lose. Because the, the, the intrigue with Conor McGregor is the, is the intrigue. That's, that's what, what it's all about. The anticipation of seeing him fight is what the, keeps the buzz up. Yeah. And that gets him the Burger King deals and everything else. And you have to win to keep that. We've seen that with Ronda. Yes. The moment you step back into that octagon, you put it all on the line. So why put it on the line? You don't need the money. They can't pay you what you want. Drive that price up. Which is why back when Conor did that bullshit in New York, is why I said that UFC just needs to bleed him out and wait for him to need to come back. Because you can't you not, keep begging for I'm not sure if he needs to come back. A hundred mil is a lot to spend. <laughs> it is a lot. But there is a possibility he's spending this money as well. Because, I mean, he shut down an amusement park for his toddler. That wasn't cheap. People do that shit all the time. Yeah, I'm just saying. He's spending money. So eventually, I don't think Connor's smart enough to... I'm not going to say he's going, he's going to go broke. But he, there's going to be a point in time where he goes, 
oh shit, I'm down like eight million and I have to fight again. It's gonna happen. Just win. So, yeah. But if he, if he manages his money, might. But I mean, look, man, if this is the history of the NBA. You know, NBA athletes have been making millions, millions of dollars for years, and they end up broke working at car dealerships and high school basketball gyms. So what? Who, who's to say that a, a fighter, who obviously probably is not the smartest guy in the world, he's a great market promoter, but he's not a financial analyst. Who's to say that he's not going to lose money and say, you know what, I need to fight. And if you're Dana, if you keep begging him to fight, it's only driving his price up. Eventually, you just got to be like, fuck it. He'll come back when he's ready. Yeah, I, I think I think that point is going to boil over. Because it's still at the point where they need him more than he needs them. Regardless of how fast he may or may not be burning through money. They need yeah. him. They, they, they need him. And we'll talk about the numbers on UFC 225 with the CM Punk. Who yeah. everyone thought arguably. Who, who honestly is probably a top three draw in the UFC right now. And we'll see yeah. what the numbers did. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about more boxing. Yeah, <laughs> with Conor McGregor dominates the boxing talk, right? Uh, we have Wilder agreeing to fight Joshua in the UK. Um, you know, it's not final. Joshua has to put the, the pen to ink, send over the official contracts. This is as far as we've been in the process. And, you know, selfish me was like, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. But honestly, what's right for the sport and what's right for heavyweight boxing there's no bigger stage than, than the UK right now. Like, uh, for Joshua's fight specifically, that shit looks like WrestleMania. With the entrances and the pyro and the 90,000 fans. and that, that shit's incredible. And that's where the first fight should be. Then we can bring it Vegas. Then you can charge 10000 a seat and make the exact same money in gate that you would make in the UK for, you know, 15,000 people. But the first one, to build up the hype and make it feel big, make it feel like heavyweight boxing is back... I, I, I love that it's there, and I have high hopes for this fight. Yeah, the only concern here is um, what I found out is uh, Hearn has, has responded. Uh, Eddie Hearn has basically said that that deal was an old deal. Um, and it's, he's not saying it to say that we're not going to fight him, but he is saying it to say that I believe they're in negotiations with Alexander Povetkin right now. Um, and I don't know how far along with that negotiations they are, there are. So it's, it's going to be interesting because obviously you should nix everything and you should fight Deontay Wilder. And you should do this in – now that Canelo and Triple G, which we'll talk about in a second, is booked for September 15th, you should do the fight in October and November. And that's when it should happen in the U.K. Um, but, you know, the U.K. is the right place for this fight. The rematch can't happen in the States. If it isn't a one-sided blowout, it should happen in the States. Um, and Joshua's a huge star in the U.K. So, I mean – in a way, he does have all the leverage. I, you know, praise to, to Wilder for acquiescing and saying, you know what, I'll go over there and fight him because somebody's got to budge. Y'all yeah. can't just sit there and stare at each other and beat up bums for the rest of your life. <laughs> you got to make the move. And Wilder knows so, if he wins and it comes back to UK, it makes him a huge star. I mean, US, it makes him a huge star. He's, he's gambling on himself, which is the right gamble to make. Absolutely. He's putting in his time, so it's like, all right, let's 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 make a move. And if you got to fight there, because, I mean, dog, nobody thinks this is going to decision. Somebody's going <laughs> to play. So yeah, don't, yeah. Don't worry about the judges. And Deontay Wilder is coming in this as the he's as the heel per se, so he's looking to be booed anyway. So why not go over there, beat him up, and make yourself a bigger star by going into enemy territory? I commend him for it. But let's just see what happens in the next few weeks if uh, they finalize this deal. But yeah, I think if they don't get it finalized, it looks really bad on Joshua. And I think that was another good play by Wilder's camp to say, yeah. you know, we acquiesce to everything. We'll go there. Just sign. And and if it doesn't get signed, Joshua now kind of, 
Uh, which is, once again, not a bad thing. Joshua becomes the heel in America, kind of. The, oh, he's yeah. running scared. So now it's a us versus them scenario, which only makes it bigger. Right. So either way, you know, this, this fight's going to be big. It's just a matter of how big it's going to get. Um, and I know there's other things to figure out, like where is it going to air? Is it an HBO fight, a Showtime fight? Is it on the Zone, which is her in streaming service, which would limit the pay-per-view buys? There's a lot of ways it can go with this, but they'd have to figure out in all these things before they finalize the fight. It's not just two fighters fighting. A lot of people forget about that. There's a whole lot of other things that need to be negotiated. Um, and hopefully they get this thing figured out sooner than later. Yeah, and that is boxing, right? That's the state of boxing that we've lived in for quite some time. The, the fighters may want to do it. The fighters might want to fight tomorrow, but it could take a whole year. Just a, a background noise and background shit to make it happen. So um, Triple G versus Canelo, though, Oscar Oscar wasn't playing that black that background noise. Oscar was like, listen, you got until Wednesday or Tuesday. So what's a wild shit? I'll check back in with me then. I sent over the paperwork. He did, he did a Twitter countdown. Two hours left. Today he was like 30 minutes. I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> it worked. And we got the fight finalized. And I, I, once again, Triple G, you get as much as you can. If you get even, uh, you know, if you went into the rematch in May, probably secured for maybe a 60-40 split. And you were able to land a 56-44 split. You win because you get more money than you were getting before. So you bleed them for as much as you can. But at the end of the day, there's no other fight bigger than what you can have against Canelo Alvarez. And the faster, the better, because you're getting older. This guy is getting into his prime. So it works out for Triple G, and I, I'm excited. It's here in Vegas again. None of the hoopla, like, oh, it might be in Dallas. No. It's right where the other one was. Let, let's go and do it. And the weekend is going to be crazy, like you tweeted out. It's going to be nuts that weekend. Um, Mexican Independence Day. It's going to feel like a big fight. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it, it happened. I know they can, you know, they've been fooling around uh, talking about this and deadlines and splits and blah blah blah. But this was the only fight that either fighter should make. There's obviously other fighters out there that both of them could face, but why not do it after this? Um, there's no reason to to limit yourself in the, the earning potential for a Canelo Triple G rematch by fighting a Danny Jacobs or a Charlo or anybody in the middleweight division. You know, just go ahead, finish off your rivalry if it ends now, because it could could continue. Could. Um, we could have a trilogy out of this, but, uh, you know, do what you got to do. You know, for Triple G, yeah, I know you want it 50-50, but as much as I love Triple G, you're not worth 50-50 against no. Canelo. Canelo's a draw. So, but if you go out there and win, I mean, yeah. you might be get, able to get, like, you know, 47, 53. Yeah, you can command that afterwards. But right now, it's like, get what you can. Prove yourself on that big stage again. You didn't lose the first fight, according to most people, including myself. Go out there and do it again. Put Canelo away. So and you got to stop him because you can't leave it to the judges this time. Uh, yeah, you never can. But Canelo, the one thing he proved to me is he's, he's he can take a punch. He can take a punch. So yeah, I so, mean, you'd think that guy is just made out of just what like crazy amounts of beef or something, and it just allows him to take superhuman punches, right? You know, tainted it's, it's, stuff. Yeah, it's just non aided at all. He just has a super chin naturally. Yeah, we, we so shall we, see. We got a few months till we get this going. I'm excited for it, but that, that's the biggest news in terms of straight-up news that come out of boxing. Yeah, and that you know has people buzzing. Once again, now you have a narrative. I said this would be better in the long run. Before, you just had somebody's getting knocked out. That was the whole build of the first fight, and no one got knocked out. So I was like, oh, shit, what do we build a second fight on? Oh, that he was robbed? Like, what? 
it, it, this is a narrative. You have a guy who popped for something. who's saying, I'm not a cheater in a country who believes him. And everyone else saying, no, he is a cheater. Let's see if he can do it without, you know, the assistance, without, you know, being tainted. And that's, that's just something Triple G has to play up to. It's like, I don't care if you're on steroids. I'm knocking you out anyway. Or all this, he has to say that. You have to harp on that. You have to sell the fight. And now you have a narrative to sell the fight. Yep, definitely. So it's even bigger and better. Um, we had a good fight weekend that just passed, though. A couple good fights. Uh, let's focus on the main ones, though. Uh, Charlo versus Trout. Closer than I expected. Yeah. Um, Trout's a tough know, dude, though. You, you said it on the podcast. Like, he's, 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 he's tough. that tough guy that'll always have a place. He's the, the ultimate exactly. gatekeeper for that division. He is, and Charlo just got past him. Um, it was a good fight. I watched it. It wasn't ex- terribly exciting. But, you know, Charlo, you can't knock everybody out. You know, even though you, these guys have been on the streak and this is this newfound power series that they had. But Trout proved to be durable, made it to the final bell. Good test for Charlo. It'll be interesting where he goes. 154 pounds is interesting. Jared Hurd immediately said after fight, if I was fighting you, I'd beat your ass. <laughs> that makes it very interesting because right now, Jared Hurd's the guy to beat a 154. Um, he's, a, he's a giant 154 pounder. He's a pressure fighter. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how Charlo would handle that. So I, I'm excited for that fight. Um, this fight, you know, it kind of knocked the luster off of Charlo a little bit. So he, I'm sure he would come into that fight as the underdog. But, uh, you know, all things considered, I mean, it's still a good weekend for Charlo either way. Yeah, it can't knock everyone out, like you said. And it showed, you know, when he had to be a boxer, he had to be a boxer. And Trout was smart. He got that veteran savvy. He got that old man game. Exactly. So he, he knew how to protect himself. He, he knew when to open up. Uh, he landed some good shots in those middle rounds, man. And uh, he, he was there the entire time. It's something that's going to get him paychecks <laughs> moving forward. Because if you want to test yourself, he's, he's now that barometer. Okay, if you can get over me, you're something. But I still can, you know, I can still stop your whole hype train if I need to. So that that's a that's a good position to be in. Listen, not everyone wants can be world champion, but to be right under that, you get some cushy gigs, some good paychecks. So that that was a good fight. Um, we had right after that, Leo Santa Cruz versus Abner Rares again. Uh, leading up to the fight, talk was that there were going to be more technical, more boxing, you know, more of the sweet science, and the opening bell hit, and they just wailed on each other. It was yeah, something it was crazy, just... like 2,000 total punches in the fight. Like, something incredible. Uh, yeah. Lived up to it again. These guys can fight once a year, and I'd be happy. Yeah, I mean, it was a complete, you know, continuation of the last fight. Same kind of action. You know, you can't ask for anything more out of those two guys. Um, it's just more interesting now to see where uh, Santa Cruz goes. If Leo's looking to fight Gary Russell Jr., for instance, is a fight that a lot of people are very interested in. I'd love to see it. Um, Mares, you know, he's going to work to build himself back up. Uh, but, you know, these two guys, like you said, they can fight a million times. They probably won't. We probably won't see them fight each other again. But, you know, when we have fights like this, these are the type of fights that you watch, that you call a friend and be like, you watch a boxing? No, turn the channel. And they're going to be impressed. So, that, I mean, that was a great fight overall. Um, it just says, once again, Leo Santa Cruz is that man right now. So we'll see who's going to challenge him. And I'd love to see him fight Gary Russell Jr. next. No, that's a great matchup for him. Um... He handled his business, man. He, he's really that good. Gary Russell Jr. is a great matchup. Selfishly, I look at it, and 126 pounds is really close to 130. I, I want to see him or Gary Russell Jr. I don't care. If they want to go at it first, cool. 
But the winner, I, I want to see Lomachenko test it again. And well, he already beat Gary Russell Jr., and he beat him pretty Pretty handy. soundly, yeah. But I'm saying, like, I, I want to see Leo Santa Cruz go out there and do it. But, I mean, I don't, I don't think Gary Russell Jr. should go and fight him again. But you know what? If they want to fight each other and he earns it, then go up and fight Lomachenko again. You know? Like, it, I can't stop the man from fighting him again after that. But, to me, I want Leo Santa Cruz to move up now and take on Lomachenko. Lomachenko looked very small when he moved up. Um, yes, I understand he got the belt, he got a championship, got a stoppage, um, hurt his shoulder, so just had surgery, so that's going to keep him on the shelf, which opens the door for a Gary Russell Jr. fight uh, for Leo Santa Cruz while uh, Lomachenko's on the mend. But I, I think that would be a good move, especially if, if Santa Cruz wins and you really establish yourself as that dude in that division, that's a good fight to move up for. Yeah, too bad it won't happen because of PBC and uh, top rank, so... <laughs> so uh, yeah. I mean, we not have. A big fight. I hate that now. It's not. It went from they're never going to work together to it has to be this big for them to work together. Yeah, it's like it's can, can we chip down another level? Like, can we just be okay? It's not a trash fight, so let's work together. Like mm-hmm. sooner or later, we fuck it. Let's get into it now because we're going to see this again in a year's time. Because the other fight. Was Bud Crawford moving up to 147 and making easy work, easy work of Jeff Horn, the champion, and taking the belt. In his first fight, the power translated. It looked like he was moving and fast forward. He had like the Dragon Ball Z, like teleportation shit going on, where Horn didn't even see half the time. He was just getting peppered by punches until just the the volume of it caused the stoppage. And it's crazy because I was talking about it. I was like, you know what? We don't know if Crawford's... True power translated because he hasn't shown the ability to really put someone on the canvas with one punch yet. He didn't do that to Horn. It was an accumulation of punches. Same way Manny Pacquiao had to move up and stop people at 147. He didn't have that flash knockout power anymore. He just beat you to death. And then the ref had mercy on you. Against Horn, Crawford even landed the last three punches of that combination and the ref stopped it. He just had mercy on him. So, I mean, that to me, that's not a true translation of power. We, know he, we don't know if he got that one time. Power that Thurman damn near lost already. Um, and we don't know if he has that Errol Spence level power at this division. Everyone's going to be bigger than him. But he made easy work of Horn. And we're going to be talking about the same thing. Top ranked PBC. Because sooner or later, him and the person we'll talk about fighting this weekend, Errol Spence, have to fight each other. Yeah, but, you know, things got to clear up on the PBC fi- side first. So first things first, yes, Bud Crawford did pretty much what I told everybody was going to do. He was going to torture Jeff Horn and he was going to finish him. Um, I said it was going to probably be a referee stoppage because Jeff Horn, he just doesn't have the technique, man. He takes two steps, puts his head down, and he gets cracked. And it's good against guys without great technique, but in fighting somebody like Bud Crawford, who's one of the most technically sound fighters in the game right now, uh, it just was a horrible game plan. And there there was no switching up, no nothing. So Bud Crawford is currently sitting on my pound-for-pound list as number two behind Lomachenko. Um, and the only thing that's holding him out of the number one spot is fighting the top guys at 147. And it sucks because the fact that PBC has, we've said it a billion times, Keith Thurman, uh, Errol Spence Jr., Danny Garcia, and Sean Porter means that Terrence Crawford really has nobody to fight. Yeah, those are the top five if you throw Crawford in there, right? Yeah, That's those the, are top the top five in the division, and they have four of them. Yeah, you know, so it's it's looking like, you know, Keith Thurman's on the mend. He's a guy who's made it clear that he doesn't want a tough fight whenever he decides to come back. So he'll probably beat up some bum. Um, and then you got, you know, Garcia and Porter fighting probably this fall. 
Uh, you got Errol Spence fighting this weekend. They're, they're in no, PBC and Showtime are in no, and the funny thing was Chris de Blasio, the head of PR over at Showtime, when I sent that tweet that said that Al Heyman doesn't want to cross the line, he tweeted me, he was like, don't be so sure of that. And I'm like, all right, but I know, <laughs> I know what it has to be. It has to be a big enough fight. And the problem with Terrence Crawford is he's not must-see TV yet. And it's unfortunate because he is must-see TV when you watch him. But if you don't care, which Bud has a hard time making people care because he's a very reserved individual, people aren't tuning in. You know, he fought on ESPN Plus, uh, not on the network. You know, you had to watch him on the streaming service. And that kind of limits your exposure. So it's like for Al Heyman to reach across and say, look, I want my, one of my guys to fight Bud Crawford now would be putting myself at risk and splitting the proceeds with Bob Arum. Business-wise, it doesn't make sense. Fan-wise, this is what we want to see as fans, but they're not going to do that until they clean house to see who is the top dog under the PBC stable who ends up fighting Terrence Crawford. The only outlier is if any of those fighters end up signing with Eddie Hearn. That changes the dynamics of everything. Um, but it, that's, we're not there yet. And right now, you know, Buds, he's in the no man's land. He's the best fighter who has nobody to beat up. Yeah, and it's, it's ridiculous because that's no matter what is not going to be, quote-unquote, a big enough fight to split that because – Errol Spence could be great, and maybe he becomes the face of 147. Uh, we'll see with him and Thurman how that works itself out. He's still, you know, there's to get Danny Garcia's of the world. You never know. But I don't see him slipping up. So for this conversation's point, let's say Spence runs to Gauntlet. It's still not going to be big enough because Crawford has no one to beat up on his side to elevate his star. Well, it'll be, he'll be big enough because Errol Spence, the story will be Errol Spence trying to unify all the titles, and Terrence Crawford will have the other one. So if Errol Spence beats... You think casual Thurman, fans care about unification? Casual fans will care about Errol Spence Jr. Because Errol Spence Jr. will be the draw and the bigger name. Meanwhile... So we're seeing a 60-40 split. We're seeing... We're, we're seeing Heyman just try to go crazy I don't know Because the, what happens is the other, the other side of the equation is the thing that can help Terrence Crawford the most with this ESPN streaming deal is if he's able to fight three to four times a year which means he's seen more, which gets his visibility up. And using ESPN as a platform to promote him is the best possible situation for him in lieu of not having a big-name opponent. So he can go the Mike Tyson route and just kind of club bums and tomato cans, but he's being visible. Meanwhile, Errol Spence is fighting the bigger names under the PBC umbrella, and he collects the belts. And now you have a narrative as a guy that nobody can beat on top rank, who's always seen on ESPN, versus the guy who a lot of people think is the best fighter in the world in Errol Spence Jr. So you have a narrative there. The money split will be interesting whenever that comes up, but there has to be a reason for the fight to happen. And Errol Spence is not a big enough name yet, but I think if he collects all the belts and he, in, in doing that, he'd be beating the top fighters. He'd be the big name. And Crawford, being on the ESPN flat platform, he'd be recognizable as well. So if, if he fights three times a year. So there's a lot going here. It's just, you know... When are we going to see it? 2020? That seems like the route we're going right now. Wowzers. That's two years away? Yeah, okay. It just sounds horrible when you put 2020 on it. It yeah. seems like a long time away, but not, yeah, let's say two years away. I have no faith in that happening anytime soon. No, it won't happen soon. It, I mean, you have to give it, you have to give it at least 18 months because Thurman's got to come back. He's got to fight somebody. He's got to fight, defend his title. Uh, Porter and Garcia. And the PBC model's horrible because you only get to fight twice a year if you're lucky. 
So you never know when these guys are going to fight. So, yeah, we got at least 18 months until we start talking about late 2019, early to mid-2020 is when Crawford will cross promotional lines and fight somebody. They got to figure out the whole Showtime ESPN. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. But it will be big enough by then, I think, if everybody keeps winning. And this weekend, so we both obviously have Errol Spence Jr. wrecking Carlos Ocampo. Yeah, there's no question. Ocampo's never fought <laughs> anybody closer. Like, th- dude, if you're watching this fight, you're only watching it for a one-sided manslaughter to put your eyes on Errol Spence Jr. That's it. That's why I'm going to watch it. I'm going to have that up side-by-side with uh, NXT TakeOver. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, why not? But, yeah, he's going to get crushed. Uh, so Ocampo's just there, like you said, to keep the guy active. And it looks like he's on a collision course with the winner of Danny Garcia versus Sean Porter. Yep. Which, More, which is possibly. Cool. Possibly. We're not sure. We'll not sure. Boxing is the sport of indecision. It drives me crazy. What happened to the good old times where everything was like a bracket format? Where you knew A equals B equals C. Business. It is the worst. All right. So... Let's skip over boxing and, and their weird booking. We're going to talk about other weird booking. Boxing has weird-ass booking. Um, let's get into MMA and the show that was UFC 225. CM Punk in Chicago coming back against an opponent. They build him, build as his equal in Mike Jackson uh, in the cage and gave Punk way more exposure outside of the octagon. Uh, I don't think Mike Jackson was on any promo pieces the UFC did whatsoever um, leading into that fight, which says a lot about what they thought of him even before he got into the cage. And then, you know, we had a good main event uh, on paper, you know, leading into that with Whitaker versus Romero, too. Um, And we'll talk about the nonsense about the weight cut and that and how that went. And then we had... A uh, good co-main, I believe. I, who the hell was the co-main? I think we had what Holly Holm. Oh, no, it was Colby Covington and Rafael Dos Anjos. Oh, <laughs> yes. Covington, Dos Anjos, Covington's mouth being the highlight entering that fight. Um, so we had a good card. We we said that leading up to it. We were like, man, this is a really good card. The numbers are being speculated now. Before we break down the card fight for fight, it's ruled that they're Guessing maybe it reaches 150,000 pay-per-view buys, which is damn near half of a cyborg event. Why did this not sell despite having CM Punk on? Because they don't have any stars. I mean, it's really simple. Um, fans are, are experiencing fatigue. But cyborg's doing 280. And that's just Cy- to sell her kill, see her kill Cy- people. She's an attraction. Cyborg is, is, is an attraction at this point where people just want to see her. There was nobody in this, this card with the exception of CM Punk that people wanted to see. Nobody was going, man. Like, nobody, you can call anybody and be like, man, you need to watch Robert Covington. I mean, uh, Robert Woodard. <laughs> Robert Covington. Or you need to watch uh, Yoel Romero fight. There is no buzz surrounding any of those names. Holly Holmes, she doesn't have the buzz anymore. Colby Covington, he's only known in MMA circles, in the MAGA circles. That's the only people who care about him. Javier Dos Santos, MAGA strong right now. Yeah, so there was nothing here to say, I need to buy this card. There was nothing that was going to make you cough up the money to buy this card. Um, And so it's not surprising, man. I mean, I said they bought a lemon, and they did. Like, the pay-per-view model is difficult when you don't have a star headlining. You have a bunch of great fights, but that only services the, the, the narrative that you're appeasing your base. 
But your core base is never going to get you over into the big numbers. It doesn't happen anywhere. It doesn't happen in music. It doesn't happen in sports. It doesn't happen in film. Like you have to reach the mainstream audience, the people who casually watch the sport. No casual fight fan was tuning into UFC 225. Yeah, and it fell flat. That's a damn shame because it was a good card, but it shows the star power is lacking. And when you, you put a guy like Robert Whitaker, which is cool, and you know Bobby Knuckles is a good fighter, it's just what's special about him? Like he's exactly. Australian. Like what, what makes people care? And it's it's you know sad to say, but you had a headliner between a Cuban and an Australian. Like where where are you getting your pay per view buys? Who knows? Yeah, you like know. it's it's not the two hottest beds for MMA. Like is even the Brazilians. There's a huge Brazilian following, and MMA has been their thing for a while. You know you can attract that so they can watch their people. Um, usually, if you go for someone from Britain or the UK or you know even Ireland, as we see McGregor, they have a fan base even now building and built into MMA. No one looks at Australia as an MMA hotbed, Cuba as an MMA hotbed. Can they buy? Can they watch shit like this in Cuba? Like, are are they now liberated? I, I don't even know. But like, those aren't like two followings for MMA. So it's rough to even book that as a, a pay per view headliner. Unless they just thought Punk was the star and he was going to carry it. Yeah, no, like I said, over, overall, this was a car that just, it lacked buzz to the mainstream. And then also on top of that, and this is where ESPN needs to step in, you didn't see this shit anywhere. Like there were no fighters on first take or the talk shows or anything. Well, that contract ain't sealed yet. They ain't helping out FS1. No, but, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like it's... can't help. But when you don't see these fighters visible anywhere else, and they're insulated, it's like you can't even reach. You can't even get into the crowd. Like, like again, I keep saying, like, people like Rose Diamond Yunus, like, you need to be covering, like, muscle and fitness or something. Like, you, like you, if you're not there, you're, at, you're not in the mainstream, and nobody cares. So hopefully ESPN can change that. But, yeah, this card, I'm surprised that it was this low. I thought it would be, like, 250. Um, I can't damn. wait to hear Stephen A. Smith talk MMA on a weekly basis. Do you remember the shit from Connor and uh, – and Nate Diaz, like, oh, God, the stuff that man was saying, I can't wait to hear just the ludicrous statements that's going to come out of Stephen A's mouth when they force him to talk about MMA. Yeah. Stephen A talking about Bobby Knuckles. Like, what is he going to do? Like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it wasn't in mainstream, but we had good fights. Let's go over the main card. Um, oh, Actually, a little bit under that main card. There's a couple fights that had uh, good repercussions earlier in the night. Sergio Pettis defeated Joseph Benavidez. I did not see that coming. I didn't either. Pettis has improved uh, a lot. Um, you know, and it's a weird thing. His MMA math doesn't work, you know. Uh, so he loses Cejudo when he beats Benavidez. Um, I don't know where that's going to put Benavidez at this point in his career. Like we said before, he's not really touching the title shot. But Pettis looks like the next guy to, to lose the Demetrius Johnson. Yeah. Um, unless Suhudo shocks the world. Doubtful. <laughs> all, everything's doubtful until it happens. Um, but MMA, small gloves, one punch. All it takes. Uh, and we'll see. Sergio Pettis, to me, I, there's something about Suhudo that looks like at least maybe there's a shot. There's nothing to me that looks like Sergio Pettis could give Demetrius Johnson any type of trouble. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything there with Pettis whatsoever. So, I mean, if, if he gets the next title shot, we're just talking about DJ going for like 14 in a row. Um, and then we'll be talking about 
you know, greatest of all time? Is it time for him to move up because he's not tested and his only losses came at 135? That's going to be the narrative because we're going to run out of shit to even put in front of him if we haven't already. So that was um, on the prelims, the fight pass prelims. And then we saw Rashad Evans' soul get lifted from his body. Like he had just drank that Black Panther juice beforehand. And he was stripped of the power of the Panther. And he got murked. Um, This is it for Rashad, right? Yeah, it should have been it before. Like, he just clearly doesn't have it anymore. Um, he's reached that age where his reflexes aren't there. It's just, like, he got he got a knee in a place where he should have known better to put his head. So he's just – and I, he just didn't look right the moment he stepped into the cage. So, look, for for Rashad's health, he's got he's to retire. Um, I, I wish there was somewhere he could work, doing commentary or something somewhere, because he's, he's a great talking head. But, uh, yeah, he has no business being in anybody's I mean, cage again, anymore. ESPN has to be hiring. Like, they need former fighters as analysts, unless they're going to move yeah. over the entire Fox crew. But you no. would think they'd have to renegotiate all that shit, right? You're not just going to bring over, like, and assume DC is coming over, Bisping's coming over. Like, we've got to see what they want to do with their shows on that network. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So, I, if I was him, i put in my resume right now. Because this, this fighting life, it ain't it no more. And then, nope. skipping forward, uh, Ricardo Yamas actually lost. Demir said Bektik. I didn't see that happening necessarily. Uh, a good fight. Claudia Galdeja versus Carlo, Carla Esparza. Claudia, I had her winning. People, A lot of people saw this for Cookie Monster, though. I didn't. I thought Carla won the fight. but I, I It didn't. was ugly, though. It was, yeah. whoa, Carla won it ugly. Uh, but, you know, that's what I said about Carla. She's, she's, a, she's a grinder, and, uh, you know, she makes fights difficult. Uh, unless you're a devastating striker like Yolanda and Jacek, you're not just going to run over Carlos Sparza. And his striking is getting better on top of that. So She outstruck so, Claudia by a lot. Yeah, Claudia so, was getting pieced up. She was just good enough to keep her on the ground and remain on top control, which is key. Yeah, so it was a good fight for both of them. I mean, you know, it was a tough fight like I expected. And the result was right. I thought uh, Claudia Gadeja won the fight. So did I. And then Curtis Blades versus Alistair Overeem. It was a fight that... It was kind of sluggish to start out, but damn the way it finished. Those elbows were ruthless. And having that leading into your pay-per-view actually should have got people hyped. I guess no one just decided to click the buy this pay-per-view button. They had seen enough. The elbows raining down by Curtis Blades showed that his wrestling is what we thought it was at an elite level at a time where heavyweights do not have a myriad of elite wrestlers. So he has a very unique set of skills that he is putting to... You know, to the task, he's almost knocked out at one point, was able to grapple and get over him to the ground when he was rocked, survive, and then finish the fight late. And one hell of a showing for Curtis Blades. And now he has to be at least, what, one fight away, maybe? Like, uh, Reem was like three, so he's one fight away from a title shot, if not there but, already. Yeah, he. I mean, he's right there now. The way he brutalized Alistair over him, it doesn't take much to get the heavyweight title picture, but... It was impressive. Overeem couldn't keep him away, and once that wrestling came to work, it was tough to stop. So, um, and it's become the neutralizer. Like Stipe used it against Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades. He probably could use it against a few guys. Um, so, you know, he's on that. I guess it's the fast track to a title shot. Yeah, um, I can see him maybe having to take one more fight, probably against the loser of the Black Beast and Francis Ngannou. Yeah, either it's Ngannou rematch or you know a fresh matchup against the Black Beast. But he's one fight away, in my opinion. 
because I think that's the that's the number one contenders match right there. Yeah, definitely. So um, well, we'll see how that works out. But Curtis Blades definitely made himself a player in the heavyweight division. We have Mike Jackson versus CM Punk to open up the main card. And here we go. Um, best thing for CM Punk, cult of personality. That was the best thing. And I'm upset that he didn't go, it's clobbering time, point to the wrist, and take a knee. Well, if he would have done that, he would look like a fool because he got clobbered. <laughs> it wasn't even close, man. Mike Jackson outclassed him. Uh, CM Punk could never get the fight to the ground. And Mike Jackson proved that, you know what? I might not have these MMA skills because I got choked out and taken down really early uh, against someone who had a full range of MMA skills. But when it comes to just throwing these hands, I'm not that bad. So the truth uh, made easy work of CM Punk. And yet Dana White blasted him in the post-fight press conference. And I thought CM Punk was, or excuse me, uh, Mike the Truth was doing CM Punk a favor. I thought he could have embarrassed him. He could have finished him. But why? I, I thought he, you know, he saved face for the man. And he said, that was a, that was a, I'm going to hit you in the face repeatedly. I'm going to beat your ass. But this is my thank you for giving me this paycheck. Uh, um, Dana White has been extremely hypocritical lately. You know how you get in an argument with your girl and it's something that you did wrong and then you find a hole and you reverse it? And you'd be like, no, 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 it's your fault. And then you flip the whole energy of the argument. Elena would say I do that constantly. I would say, yeah, I've heard of these things. So that's what Dana White did because he got a ton of criticism for bringing CM Punk here in the first place. And the fact that he was on the main card, ton of criticism. So he had him fight Mike Jackson, who he thought was on his level. Mike Jackson beats him up. It's not Mike Jackson's fault because you put all the spotlight on CM Punk and he got beat up. Don't blame Mike Jackson for what he did. Blame yourself for thinking CM Punk was the world. Like, business-wise, I got it. He was your draw. But why are you going to be mad at the man that beat him? Because it's like, you can't be hypocritical. Like, oh, you don't ever let it go to the scorecards. You, if it was that easy to knock people out, everybody would do it. I'm not saying Mike Jackson could have definitely knocked him out because Punk proved to be pretty tough. He may not have been able to finish him. He should have. But it's like, yo, Dana, you're the one who brought the circus here. Not Mike. Mike yeah. was chilling. Mike was too, like, and you picked a guy you thought was going to lose it in the end. You're upset that he won. Let's just call it spade a spade. Yeah, that's all it is. So, he beat yeah. your friend. He beat someone that you wanted to see win. Even if you planned on, you know, talking him into retirement after, I don't know what the plan was. You wanted to see your friend win. You thought this was the guy to do it, and your friend just can't fight. I don't think they're friends. Oh, I think they're friends. There's no way you get that shit if you're not a friend. I, I honestly do not think that CM Punk and Dana White are friends. I, I feel like, let's quote unquote, he's a Dana guy. If we have, he's a Paul Heyman guy. He's a Dana guy, and nope. Dana has had those type of people before. Yeah, I don't, no, no mm. way that kid should have had two fights in the UFC. No, but he's CM Punk. Like, like when I saw Dana at the Contender Series, and well, when we saw him after the Contender Series, and he talked about, uh, everybody asked him, "Did you talk to CM Punk?" He said, "No." It was when it was Tuesday. If they were tight, they would have already had a conversation. There's no tight there. There was Dana was trying to cash in on CM Punk's success. I don't think they're boys at all. Uh, well, he set up his non-boy for an ass whooping, and yeah. a lot of people tuned in for it. Uh, it was the talk of Twitter and wrestling Twitter specifically. So I'm wondering exactly how that went because it didn't seem. Like, many people bought the pay-per-view. 
So nope. were all these wrestling fans just bootlegging it? Like we got so used to finding streams for New Japan that we're just like, you know what? I, I can find a stream for UFC. Probably. Like, was nobody paying to see Punk get beat up? Like they found <laughs> just found. I mean, it was quick. You didn't have to search far. And um, man, yeah, he just took a whooping. Looked bad in the face afterwards. What's next for CM Punk? I believe he's all in to some capacity. I, I think he'll show up. Even if it's just to show his face, just to build some type of buzz around him and then figure out what he's going to do next. I don't think he's going to be a recluse and just say, fuck it, I, I tried my dream. I don't want to do anything with pro wrestling and then just go and make babies with AJ Lee. I don't. I, I do. I think he craves still the attention. He needs something. I don't think he craves attention at all. I think it's the exact opposite. I think CM Punk is a guy who's been frugal with his money. Um, he left the WWE on his own terms. Yeah. You know, and, you know, he went to try the MMA thing. He lost twice. Why Why would he show up at All In to create a buzz for what? For whatever he wants to do next. Maybe nothing. Like, if you're nothing? Dude. I, I, I think the guy not, wants to be broke. the best in the world. No, it has nothing to do with money. He's not motivated by money. He's motivated by wanting to be the best in the world or do something at a very high level. Do you, you think get he, that idea from? Because he could have went after wrestling and just sat his ass on the couch. But he wanted to try MMA. And he'll, like he would Lashley, want to Brock try something Lester. else. Yes. And, but, but he's not good at it. So why would he go? He just lost. He tried something. He lost. Correct. He made some money. Why? What else is there for him to do? Just in make an appearance. Keep your name in the dialogue. Keep your, your core fan base which is still oh, wrestling what? fans, to do it everyone. You want to go write comic books? You want to go to Hollywood? You want to be the next fucking Dave Batista? I don't know. But you had to keep your name in the circulation. You have to keep your fan base. I, I don't think you need to keep a fan base. Like, I don't think there's, it's necessary for CM Punk to be visible. He just fucking lost a fight. Why would he show his face? Or why? So they can ridicule him? Like, no, you think anyone's going to ridicule him at All In? It's in Chicago. Dude, and there's a bunch of pro wrestling marks. No one's going to ridicule him. People weren't ridiculing him when he lost this time unless you were smart enough to do so. People were still saying, look at all of his heart. So much heart in that octagon. We heard the narrative yeah, after he lost. Like, I, people weren't ridiculing him. Props for following your dream. What? That's not... Look, yo, he, he, he has enough marks to kiss his ass. Look, he doesn't need to go to a pro wrestling event. I, I, I genuinely think this man has no... Especially after this trial... I think this man has no interest in being close to pro wrestling. See, think I, well, I think he can stick it to Vince. To Vince with this. He doesn't have to be anywhere near WWE pro wrestling. Man. But. I, I don't think he cares, man. I think he tried MMA. He's trained hard. He's been working hard to try to get better at MMA for like two years. Yeah. Didn't do well. So he's just going to crawl back and, and count his money. Probably make babies with AJ and chill out. I, I don't think there's any reason for him to do to make an appearance. I don't think he needs... The notoriety. I don't think he cares about that shit. I truly don't. I, I think he's going to reach a point where it's a what's next. And it's so weird because he's not old. In, in pro wrestling terms, in it, you know, comic book writing, he's young as hell. He has credits to his name as far as a writer is concerned. But, but there, um, therein lies the question. Like, do you think that CM Punk would want to write a comic book because he's a name or write a comic book because he wants to write a comic book? No, no. He, he wants to write a comic book because he wants to write a comic book. But he will okay. get the, the high up level opportunities because of his name. And you got to maintain already has your name. A name. He's already written a comic book. Like, that's my point. Like, none of this is going to enhance his profile where he shows up at an all in event and people are like, oh, shit, he should write the next Thor comic. 
That's not how it's, <laughs> it's going to work. The, he, the fact is, is he can still go do that. I don't think he wants fame. I don't think he wants notoriety. I don't think he wants to be bothered. But if you can pay I, him... I would agree with honest, you if... It's just so weird. I, listen, he would have fought under Phil Brooks then. If he didn't no, give a fuck about pro wrestling and everything else, he would have no, fought as Phil Brooks. CM Punk is part of who he is. It's not pro wrestling. It's Chick Magnet. It's who he is. Like CM Punk was CM Punk in the backyards of wrestling. Like that wasn't a WWE creation. It wasn't a Ring of Honor creation. It was, it was a CM Punk creation. It was a pro wrestling creation. But that's behind him now. Dog, he does not care about pro wrestling. Look, that's like saying, would you go back to BT? No. What the fuck for? Why would I do that? I would say like, you got to work at BT, but like if they're like, yo, Dre, just uh, I'm, I'm come just show saying, him at the carpet, my man. Like, <laughs> he's he's been no. the highest of the high in the pro wrestling business. He's not a guy who's ever sought to be visible. Ever. He's never been a guy who's wanted to be bothered. Like, if you read the Complex interview before his first fight when he's at the Blackhawks game. He doesn't like to be bothered. So why would you show up at a pro wrestling thing to start speculation on something that you're not going to do? It's the Floyd Mayweather effect. You said Floyd Mayweather doesn't care about boxing and doesn't want to box anymore. That's CM cool. CM Punk can make $280 million but, to do anything. But he'll just pop up just to keep his name hot for a but second. Floyd's, Floyd's an attention whore. It's a big difference. Like Floyd, Floyd may not be... It's smart, it's smart business. For Floyd, but it's it's Floyd may not be intrigued with the idea of boxing anymore, but he's the he's an intention whore. CM Punk is the exact opposite of that. We'll see. I, I think he shows up at all in. If he doesn't, then yeah, he's gonna be reckless, like you said. And he'll just, you know, be writing stories in quill and ink in his yeah. crib and just being, you know, the, the normal weird guy CM Punk is. But I, I think he, he will still want to be in the public eye. Um, it, not for like just being like, oh my god, I'm an attention whore, but just you know what? I kind of need to keep my core fan base in case I want to do some shit, and I need people to buy it. Yeah. So you know, got to throw them a bone every now and then too. Shake some hands, kiss some babies. Um, next fight: Tai Tuivasa versus Andre Arlovsky. I thought this was gonna be a finish, but Tai Tuivasa actually showed me something. Go in the distance. He had decent cardio, yeah. and especially for a heavyweight division. Ty is very, very funny. I like the personality. Doing the shoey. I, I really hope this catches on at MMA events. Where we just see everyone doing the shoey. I'll be down. If Ty fights his next fight in Vegas, I'll do a shoey. Um, and yeah, man, it's fun. It, it's dope. I, I like the fight. Arlovsky, I'm not exactly sure what's next for him. But he's a heavyweight gatekeeper. We just need new blood in the heavyweight division. And it's cool that we see you know, the Derek Lewis, the Francis Ngannou... Taito Ivasa, we're getting some new blood. Yeah, and Ar- Arlovsky, similar to Austin Trout, he's the ultimate gatekeeper. So, can't be mad at him for taking the fight. He'll continue to take these fights. Tui Ivasa looks like he's one of the next guys up in the heavyweight division. So, it's one exactly how I was expected. Um, Arlovsky's tough. You know, he has a glass jaw, but, you know, if you can't finish him, he'll hang around. Yeah. And he put him in some, like, weird positions sometimes where he was going for a sub here and there. Or, you know, uh, he lands some clean shots. Arlovsky... Didn't look as bad as I predicted him. So I thought he was going to get knocked the hell out. So he showed me a lot in this fight. Um, Holly Holm versus Megan Anderson. This was a surprising fight for me. Not necessarily because of the decision. Because Megan was untested. We kind of said that leading into it. Holly is supremely battle tested at this point. But Holly going to wrestling 
and, and showing legit takedowns and timing and being able and knowing when to shoot against someone who's so damn tall and rangy and can knee you at any moment and, and setting up those shots with, with great striking and timely striking and was able to slip inside the guard. Holly showed a lot technically in this fight that I didn't see in some of her other fights. Um, and the aggression to just know, okay, this is how I win rounds. Because she would have did some of this against Deronimae. If she just lands one takedown, she's the champion at that point. She just it showed a little bit of an evolution of game and game planning that I really liked. So I, I was very surprised with this fight and thought Holly Holm looked great. Yeah, I, I didn't think Megan Anderson was going to win. But yeah, uh, Holly's been working on that part of her game. So she's getting a little bit more dangerous. Um, first win at featherweight now. I don't know what this leads to. but uh, Well, yeah. Holly said she wants her old belt back. And I felt like she was dodging Cyborg by all, all accounts. Like, yo, that was great. I won at 145 against the person we all thought was going to challenge for the title next. And I made it look easy. I had 30, 26 rounds. And I want to fight Amanda Nunez. I mean, what, but why wouldn't you want to fight Amanda Nunez? He no, you should. Yeah, don't, don't, don't fight Chris Cyborg again. You were lucky to leave with your life last time. But I think Amanda Nunez is not going to provide more of a test than Cyborg just did for you. And you hung in there. And you look at Amanda and you say, you know what? She's, she's not unbeatable. She gasses late in fights at times. Her cardio's been better. But she, you know, she can be rocked. She can be hung in there with. We, we've seen this. Um, we've seen her in close fights multiple times. So I, I think Holly is like, I want that matchup. I want to test myself against that person. Because Cyborg, we, we've seen how that would go. Yep, definitely. So I, I think that's smart by Holly. But it's still, still funny to see her just kind of dodge that question. Um, at the end, they're like, do you want to fight for the 145-pound title again? She's like, I want my old belt back. There's something about my old belt. It's like, yeah, it's not around Cyborg's waist. That's what's about the old belt. Um, and then fan favorite, it seems like at points, Kobe Covington defeated Rafael Dos Anjos with a lot of the, the same wrestling techniques we saw Khabib use and other people use and putting his head in Dos Anjos' chest against the cage. When he didn't, he did get pieced up like you said he would. But he was that game player, man. He used that wrestling. And in his words, he beat a filthy animal. And, yeah. and yeah. this is what I wanted. I didn't want him to lose to RDA. I want this next fight. And I, I'm happy. I was rooting for him to win. Not because he's MAGA Covington. And uh, he's probably going to take this belt to the White House. Like, this is not an interim belt. He says he's the real champion. Donald Trump will call him the real champion. Don't get it twisted. And uh, that's just going to lead to an incredible build. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> You're uh, just so unenthused about Kobe Covington. I, man, I, I mean, <laughs> look, man, he, he did he did what he set out to do, so I can't be mad at him at that. Like, he went out there and grinded Rafael Dos Anjos, used that wrestling. I thought he'd get pieced up and that would be the, the end of it, but uh, no, I was wrong. So, look, man, he won. Good for him. But, uh, ugh. No, <laughs> just a horrible human being, man. Like he's just—he's—he's he's just the ultimate troll. It's he weird because like his friends, like it, you look at the friends and the people he trains with, everything, and by all accounts, he wasn't this guy two years ago. His friends are very diverse. He, he wasn't MAGA Covington two years ago, but he saw a niche. He saw something he can gravitate towards, and, and listen, it got him the title shot. It, he's interim champion because of he's playing a role. As the ultimate troll. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. It's probably going to get his ass mollywopped. 
because Woodley's not taking this shit as a as a shtick. Like it's a work. Woodley's dead ass serious. Uh, but it's landed him the shot. So <laughs> what can I say? And uh, what do you think about the back and forth between him and Woodley after the fight? Uh, and, and him and Bisping, for that matter. I mean, he's he's who he is, man, and he's trying to be somebody that people care about, but people outside of the UFC don't care about him. Um, but he's trying to ride this wave, and he's got the interim title. If he beats Tyron Woodley, then we have something to talk about, but I just don't see it. So, you know, the fact that he's on a pay-per-view, talking about he's a big star and only drew 150,000 buys, is something that T would should immediately pick on. Like, you're not that big of a star. And drag him to hell. <laughs> I can't wait for that fight. Book it as soon as possible. Woodley said he's, he's healthy. Um, Covington's talking about New York. I mean, it'd be fun. I'm not sure if you have to wait that long for that fight, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be funny press conferences. And then we have the middleweight title fight, which easily was fight of the night. Um, the fight lived up to everything that was built. It was better than the first fight. And we saw that one with our two eyes. Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero. This shit was incredible. Yeah, this was, I mean, this is a fight of the year candidate. It was a, It was an excellent fight. Um, and, you know, Whitaker, just a hell of a chin, man. Like, this guy could just take, he just got hit with everything. Uh, and kept coming. Stuff that uh, Yoel knocks people out with all the time. And Whitaker would just be wobbled and somehow just maintain it. And shout out to Ref for not stopping it. Very rarely. Do I say the ref, you know, did a great job by not stopping a fight? This is one of the things, because Whitaker was getting pounded sometimes on the ground. He'd let him hang in there. Yeah, and, and again, you know, early on it looked like Romero's cardio was going to betray him. That weight cut was real brutal on him, but he just, you know, he landed that big right hand, I think, in the fourth round. and uh, nearly Third round. Just Third to round. go lightly, I hit him up immediately in, your next, in his next series for flow, and he did, um, kudos to him. With the drawings, the illustrations, the storytelling, it felt like I was watching like an Oliver Twist story on like PBS, but about MMA. And so he did like Sea Level Cane and all of these like cool things we always talk about, and he turned it into like little funny stories. I told him, your next one, I don't care who you do, you have to do third round Romero. It's guy is a beast in the third round. I wouldn't even yeah. come off the stool. I'd go first round, second round, like yo, I, I'd. If there's the equivalent of an intentional walk in MMA, that's what I'm doing. I'm just telling the ref, nah, yo, uh, give him this. Like, third round, 10-9. I don't care. Give him 10-8 for this third round. I'll see him again in the fourth. Because this guy is just an animal when he turns it off. He really is, man. I mean, you know, again, all, you know, all intents and purposes, there's, I just don't understand how uh, Whitaker took these shots. Um, but, you know, he's still the champ. Uh, good thing, though, because it would have been an ugly thing if Romero would have won and, and he couldn't win the title because he couldn't make weight. So, you know, we're fortunate there. But, uh, you know, middleweight's a good division. Robert Rodriguez is a good champion. He'll never really be a star. And then we can just kind of move on. Are you surprised that no one had a 10-8 round? Or Romero Very. didn't have a 10-8 round? I, I, I scored it a draw. I don't know how – I don't know what else you have to do to get a 10-8 round because this is not only a 10-8 round because uh, Romero almost finished them, but Whitaker did nothing. No, he, like, survived. he survived the fit. Holly Holm got a 10-8 round against Megan Anderson. All she did was wrestle. Right. So that that is baffling to me. Um, it should have been a draw. Whitaker would still retain the title, but then they would have had to do it again. So, for like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with the result because I don't want to see another division get mucked up in bullshit. Yeah, no, nah, that's <laughs> – you just don't want – yeah, you don't want the, the talking points of it. No, I'm good. So so you're giving them a pat. But, yeah, no, nah, that was crazy. I was still like – Really, really surprised 
to see that. Um, now, it seems like it's time for pro wrestling. Um, that was the UFC pretty much in a nutshell. Nothing to talk about Bellator wrestling. And we got to get into it because New Japan, Dominion, we previewed it last week. Gave our takes on what could happen, what would happen. We were right about a lot of things. Uh, some of the things we thought were far-fetched actually came to fruition. And the card surpassed even what we thought it was going to be. Easily the best pay-per-view of 2018. Um, arguably one of the best pay-per-views. It was in, better than Wrestle Kingdom, right? I'm not bugging. It was yeah, better than Wrestle yeah. Kingdom, yeah. No, it was better than Wrestle Kingdom. Like this, from top to bottom, New Japan Dominion was one of the greatest pay-per-views that I've put together that I can think of in recent memory. Um, aside from maybe like Wrestle Kingdom in the past couple of years. I mean, and G1 with the quality of the match. But even G1 has some fluff at the beginning. Like this thing, dude, from top to bottom. And then you got, which we'll talk about, which is the greatest wrestling match that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Um, but man, what a great, what I mean, Takahashi and Osprey, uh, the Bucks against LIJ. I mean, there was just not a real, there was not a bad match on this card at all. At all. That- and, uh, the Meltzer ratings for it were just nuts. Lij Young Bucks four point five. To me, that could have been a five star match. Um, then you have Osprey Takahashi four point seven five, and that just felt incredible too. Uh, Jericho versus Naito four point five. And then, oh, what a what a match that was! Oh, the it's that they Jericho's so best different. match. Yeah, and like Jericho to me in WWE, Jericho is able to use his character and bring the character into matches, right? Where we don't even expect him to wrestle at a, an extremely high level. We're, in, we're just invested because of the build that he's able to create. Whether it's him versus Styles and, you know, playing off of that, leading up to that first WrestleMania, him versus Owens, which is the best booking, writing WWE has had in like five years. And we'll talk about the WWE writing in a second. But um, they, you can't say they botched that at all. That was great storyline. And uh, Jericho's just been so red hot. And then you look at going to New Japan and we're like, okay, he has to wrestle again, right? He has to be at this super high level of wrestling. And he doesn't. He has to do what he does in ring. But the character and the ability to bring a persona and, it, and just storytelling to a country that doesn't speak his language. He's not Kenny Omega. He's not going to go off on like a rant in Japanese. He's just, everyone understands F-bombs. And Jericho understands he's smart enough to understand that shit. If you don't know anything in English, you know curse words. So I'm going to curse a ton. And you're going to understand that I am a heel. And he he brings this all into, he had the the crow style makeup. And he does everything to reach an audience that doesn't get to see him week in and week out on WWE. He did all that shit in like three appearances. and, 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 built a narrative around this that made it such a great match. It's he is there's he was in my top five for what he did younger in his career. The longevity and what he's doing at the end of his career, when he knows he's not as athletic, he's like you know, the the flame throwing pitcher, the power arm that loses it and his fastball goes down to ninety one and he just develops the nasty curve or a change up. This is Jericho's change up and the shit's incredible. Because it works against everyone. With everyone, he builds the story, the narrative, and you're fully invested. Yeah, and I mean, this match, I mean, from the beginning, from Jericho, you know, coming out in the clockwork orange, uh, things, you know, to showcase insanity, he just went ballistic on Naito, the pile driver on the table, busting Naito's eye, 
while he was still suited up. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. And that was an absolutely phenomenal match. And it wasn't the best match on the card. And in most cases, that would be the best match on the card. But this, it speaks to the strength of the New Japan's book. And there are people out there who try to shit on New Japan and say it's not that good. You're out of your fucking mind. Like, no, I mean, you know, I, I, where are these people? Who are these people you speak of? They're on Twitter. I've shown <laughs> this is, that shit's ridiculous, by the way. Um, people put down New Japan to make themselves feel better about WWE. And it's okay to like both. And it's okay to say one is better than the other. Like, to me, like you, I read your uh, your Billboard article today, right? And, and that was great. And I'm going to check out that album. And I love real hip-hop or, you know, it's the old man wave of hip-hop. As you were saying, you know, painting that and, and it's still around and it's a resurgence in 2018. And it's going great. And I, I would listen to all that shit. But I still like Takashi 69 He's nowhere near as good as this Nas album. But I'll listen to it. Like, I, I know I can like both and also respect that one isn't as good as the other. And people can't yeah. seem to do that with wrestling. Well, no, people like, are nerds in March. Yeah, it's okay. Just, you know, listen to club music. Say that you like standing on furniture. Some shit, I'm not going to listen to Little Brother in the club. Like, it's okay. I, I'm not going to listen to that the Black Dot album in the club. So that's fine. But that's, I'm not going to say that, you know, this little young whippersnapper... Cardi, listen, I love Cardi. That shit's not the Black Thought album, but I liked her album for what it was. And I know where to play it. And I know to I can embrace them both. And I hate that wrestling fans, especially on Twitter. And I see these people, I understand. Like, I know a couple people right now in mind that are just downplaying New Japan because of their love for WWE or their, their public liking of WWE. It's like, yo, you can say you like WWE. I like WWE. I like a lot of the storylines. I'm not going to say that shit's better than New Japan. I'd be lying. And, man, I, I like Gargano and Ciampa's match. That shit was not this. And we'll talk about Okada Omega now. But match of the year, there, there, there's no... This is the best match I've ever seen with my two eyes. Gargano and Ciampa was not this. No, and I mean, look, man, it's, it's, this is what people just... It's like, why you got to make me do this? Because... Um, <laughs> I loved Gargano and Ciampa, and I've said it a million times, but for anybody who tries to compare this to that, it's like, come on, guys. Like, WWE lucked up into that feud, right? And the feud has been excellent. But first of all, the match of the year in WWE, for me, is Gargano and Cian Almas. Yeah, still That's the match the of the year. In ring, it's the best match of the year. But what, what was accomplished with Okada and Omega... Over the course of over the year, like where people were complaining that Omega wasn't in Wrestle Kingdom against Okada, um, Omega getting the win at G1, Okada getting the win uh, before that, like there's the narrative was laid down and what we got to experience in an 80 minute match, maybe not, yeah, it was about 80 minutes, 80 minutes, which was a callback to all of their previous matches, like they they teased all their finishes, every fall was different, the match was impressively brutal they tease table spots the athleticism the failed rainmaker attempt when okada was too tired to to hit the rainmaker on omega and he collapsed which is a callback to omega collapse and when okada tried to rainmaker him the last at the draw there was so much packed into this match from a storytelling aspect from a historical aspect to a changing of the guard which is now Kenny Omega sitting on top, to Kota Ibushi being ringside, to the Young Bucks coming out, 
to Gato going nuts and trying to buy Omega time between the second and third falls after he got hit with the one winged angel. To like, there was just this was the perfect match. They like some of my favorite matches in pro wrestling history include um, Austin versus Bret Hart, the double turn because it was executed so perfectly. Obviously, the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels matches, CM Punk versus John Cena because of the unpredictability of it all. But I have never seen a match to go this long. And I was watching it on the edge of my seat the entire time. And I really didn't know who was going to win. I had no clue. I didn't think Kenny Omega was going to win. I, I, I predicted him to win. I didn't think it was going to happen. And, um, and, just, it just, and then again, like this is pro wrestling at its finest. Like, we saw a Styles clash. Yeah, it, it, to the point of he was like, you know what? I'll do anything to beat you. I'll use the finishing move of the last man to actually beat you for this belt. Dude, dude. I mean, it's a callback to the Bullet Club. Because you got to remember, Omega ousted AJ Styles. There's so much packed into this match in 80 minutes, and the, like, the match was just so damn good. And I had to watch it again to say, man, am I bugging? Is this the greatest match I've ever seen in my life? It is. That's what it's I the said. Best like, match I've ever seen. As soon as I finished watching it, that day I was like, I tweeted. I was like, am I crazy for thinking this is the best match I've ever seen? Like, I, I felt bad. I was like, yo, I don't want to be like the prisoner of the moment. I don't want to be like, you know, Captain Hyperbole. Like, no, but it felt like that was the best match I've ever seen. And it, 80 minutes went in a blink. A blink don't for me. Like this. No. You, you really don't. I mean, this this is what, you know, pro wrestling is all about. And this is what, you know, as combat sports fans, where we want a little bit of realism, like those V-triggers were absolutely brutal. And the way they were shot, like the, the last V-trigger that put Okada away before the one-wing angel – the, the, the camera shot was right behind Okada, so you could just see the, the brutality of it. Or the V-trigger that, that sat him on his ass. Or, yeah. you know, Okada's comeback where he always comes back and hits that drop kick. Or when he hit, the, hit that Rainmaker elbow and went to do his pose, and then Omega got up and Snapdragon suplexed him while the camera was pulling back. It doesn't get much better than this, people. If you don't watch New Japan by now, if, if you listen to this show, or if you've heard of it and you're not watching it, you're doing yourself a serious disservice because it is by far the best pro wrestling on the planet and maybe, just maybe, might be the best pro wrestling you'll ever experience in your life. It's the best match. Like, and, and people listen to us every week. They know. Everyone we talk to, they know. They know how long we've watched pro wrestling. Seen a ton of matches. You guys should see this, this folder Andreas puts together for us of all these amazing matches that we can go back and rewatch at our leisure. Our, our wrestling just... Thanks to Andres, shout out to you. Uh, and cataloging these matches in this Dropbox is incredible. There's not a great match we can't watch, and he's still adding to this shit. And this still, I could watch every one of those, which will take me forever. I could watch every one of those, and this match is still the best match I think I've seen. I mean, as far as like making me just into it and invested in it, I think maybe Sean Taker 2 would be the most investment I've had in a match of that quality. And this this blew that out of the water. Yeah, I mean, goodness. It's, it's, it's not enough you can say about this particular match. Now, there were some great matches. You know, there's other matches that have been my favorites. I mean, we've had... Oh, I've yeah. You know, Masada and Kawada, for instance. I mean, you go back to... I mean, there's so many different matches you can say, okay, well, this might have been the greatest match I've ever seen. This might have been the greatest match I've ever seen. This, this was just on another level, man. This was on another level. Like, another one of my personal favorites was, I always talk about, the triple threat between Styles, Joe, and Daniels. Like, that was unbelievable. 
But there was it was just it was something different about this man from top to bottom. The anticipation, the because we expected great things and we got greater than we expected. Yeah. And I don't know how you can possibly do that with the matches they had previously. It's unbelievable. It's it's kind of what we wanted the WWE to do with Styles and Nakamura right off the bat. Where the WWE said we gotta build four months of this to make it our fan base count. And we we're like, yo, fuck it. Just give it give us the best match right away. And just have them yeah. top it. Like we know the history. Let them pull out the history and go for it. The WWE decided to build the entire narrative from scratch. So, now that we've gushed over this match a lot, the future is, is what's important. And where do we go from here? Now, I made this wild prediction that Kota Ibushi will win G1 and be the one to face Omega in a friend-versus-friend match. However, the more that I think about it, the more that it makes perfect sense for Tetsuya Naito to win G1 and face Omega at Wrestle Kingdom next year. Oh, because they'll just play he can't get over the Rainmaker, but he can get over someone else? No. Well, I think he's going to get his victory at, I think this is what I think is actually going to happen. Cause I don't think Ibushi's at that point to, to, to break up the goal in the lead and whatever, even though it'd be a great story. I don't think they're ready for it. I think the story here is at G1, Okada wants to win G1 to face Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Naito's the person who everybody wanted to win Wrestle Kingdom before. He still got a tremendous buzz. People think it's this crowning moment to become the champion and take that next step. But he's got to get over the hump. And that hump is going to be Okada at G1. And remember, Naito and Omega had a five-star match at G1 two years ago. Yep. They're one and one in their feud. Naito's super over with the crowd. There's no way that, like, that's the biggest match you could possibly make right now. They're, like, those two guys are, I mean, super over. LIJ is yeah. tremendous. Those over. two, it's so hard to put, like, two guy jeans against each other at Wrestle Kingdom. So I, I, want, I thought the Cody blow-off would go against Omega at Wrestle Kingdom, but not for the title at this point. You can't yeah. do it for the belt. You can't headline with, like, two, four. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so that kind of blows up my theory there. But I, I don't, yeah, I don't think you do Okada again. I, I really like, you know, the, the Bushi angle to it, and that'd be fun. But Naito, man, I thought it was Naito's time last year, so why not? I mean, you have to look at the history of uh, New Japan as well. You know, we, we were teased for several years that it was going to be Okada's time over Tanahashi. And it, it just didn't happen. It didn't happen. And finally, he got over the hump. So the payoff was huge. Naito's got to get over on Okada. And that match with Omega, I have no idea who would win it. But I think that's where we're going with Wrestle Kingdom. I think that Naito's going to get his title. Well, losing the title to Chris Jericho loosens him up to go after the, the world title. Yeah. Um, and, and he, dude, he's just, he's an incredible talent. Like, his, his character development over the past couple of years has been the best that we've seen in pro wrestling. So now we're at a point where, okay, he's going to want to challenge for the title again. And it puts in that unpredictability factor. Because by then, Omega would have had the title for about six months. He would have defended it at G1. Uh, well, he'll probably be in G1. He would have defended it probably at Kings of Pro Wrestling. And he'll be ready to defend it against the guy who he's one and one against, which is Naito. Whether he beats him or not, who knows? And it might still not be time for Naito to go over and be the champ. But I think the seeds are being planted for that feud at Wrestle Kingdom. That'd be great. I mean, at this point, they can't go wrong, right? Um, one thing I'm wondering, though, what's good with your boy Zack Sabre Jr.? Oh, don't worry. I, like, I don't think we have anything to worry about with Sabre. Like, I think, okay, like, I feel like he's cooled off tremendously. But well, are they just giving us the okie-doke? Because to me, 
going forward with Chris Jericho, that'd be a great feud for him going next. That's possible. So I think the thing with Saber is like we just saw him in the match with uh, uh, Suzuki and um, uh, Ishii and Yano. Ishii, yeah. And we know that Ishii and uh, Suzuki are wrestling in RPW for the UK title that I believe that Ishii holds right now. Saber was in that match, but he's still hot. But I think they, at first, I was a little concerned because I was like, "Damn, he kind of disappeared." But there was really nowhere for him to go. So I think they're positioning for him for a impressive G1 run. I think he's going to be a threat to the top, and I think he'll end up in some five star match or four point seven five star match towards the end. That's going to dictate who ends up in that final if it's not him. Um, but I think he's in that position. I mean, guys like him, Michael Elgin, who lost 40 pounds and looks amazing. He still might be a piece of shit human being, but that's what he found. He looks great. Uh, but, dude, they're positioning guys so well. Like, this, they've been telling these stories for guys in long-term with just in-ring action that is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, Zach getting, submitting everyone in New Japan World Cup, nobody's going to forget that. He submitted everybody. Yeah, and that's why I think it's perfect for IC title run. The next year, bring him, like, you know, have him be the star of G1. You're probably right. Like I think that's where we probably go. But it's just, I don't know who else feels with Jericho at that point. Like you know, like you're moving Naito along. It's like who else? And to me, like that next person who who can carry a feud, who can be over, who can speak, who can do everything, it is Zack Saber Jr. I just hope yeah. they're not like stashing him too too much. Kind of just keep him off the radar. I don't think so. I think the other thing is, you know, somebody asked me, what do you think Jericho is going to be in G1? Absolutely not. His schedule is not going to allow it. His body's not going to allow it. That that is a brutal, brutal tournament. But he will be carrying the IC title, and he'll probably defend it on the final night. Um, so, it, you know, there's a lot of ways it can go with this stuff, but it's just even the tag teams with the Young Bucks moving up to, to the heavyweight division and becoming the heavyweight champions by beating LIJ, like, that's obviously not over. No, so that's many, great, though. That's, that's amazing for them. Yeah, so there's so many directions that New Japan can go. But to, have, to sit down and say, we've, we continuously have the best wrestling on the planet. And for people to still be like, nah, I still watch WWE and not New Japan. Listen, you got to watch both. I'm sorry. I watched WWE out of necessity because it was my thing as a kid growing up. But nothing gets me more excited than G1, I mean, New Japan events. Nothing. Oh, and, like, and I'm lying. Best feud for Jericho is uh, Kota Ibushi. Because if the Golden Elite all have belts, it's clutch. Could be, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways it can go there. But it's just, dude, if you're listening to the show, if you know somebody's not watching New Japan, Get New Japan World, pay the little bit of money. Like, do it. Yeah. Watch. If you pay for the network, you pay for New Japan World. Absolutely. You're going to get the bang for your buck, no pun intended. Uh, so, before we go on to WWE, to close out the show, yo, there was one thing we almost skipped over. You were talking about Mike Elgin and being a piece of shit human being, and the lights just lit up in my head. Um, we forgot to talk about the debut of a UFC heavyweight, Craig Hardy. Yeah, I was there, too. In the building. Uh, I had to pick up my kids from the airport, so I couldn't go. It saddened me, but I really only missed, like, a minute of action. Hardy wrecked the dude, and it looks like the guy can actually fight. Yeah, but he doesn't wrestle. So he's extremely green. He's got a ton of power. He's one of those guys that needs some polish. Most of the division doesn't wrestle. Well, I mean, but that's the problem. If he runs into a guy like Curtis Blades, like, we haven't seen Hardy pass around yet. So I think the, the smartest thing to do was what they did here, sign him to a developmental deal, let him go to LFA, let him train with American Top Team, work on his wrestling, you know, fight more difficult opponents, and then make that de- debut. Like they did it with Mackenzie Dern, they did it with Alexa Grasso, they did it with quite a few fighters. They've signed these developmental deals. So 
Hardy's got that deal in place. Um, you know, people are going to hound him. And that's the other thing. The more time he fights, the more he can neutralize this whole domestic violence angle. Eventually, there'll be a non sequitur. At a certain point, it's just people are going to be like, all right, we're done talking about this. Because it's still red hot. I mean, but I guess the NFL angle of like NFL people aren't talking about it anymore necessarily outside of a minor headline. MMA people caught on to this like hot fire. Like it's the first time they've heard of it. Yeah, but again, you you just like I said with Kanye, Drake, and all. If you separate the transgression from the art, like if you Greg Hardy just won to get a contract, if you immediately throw him in the UFC, the fire's still hot. If you let him fight in LFA for a year. And you keep reporting these stories and you let him do interviews under underneath, not big interviews, but he's doing the interviews underneath for like MMA junkie or whatever. Eventually, you get tired of asking a domestic violence question. And Hardy, the one thing he said when uh, he when he talked after getting his uh, developmental deals, he said, I'm prepared to prove to the world that I'm a changed man and answer these questions. I'm not going to tell you not to ask them right there. He's starting to neutralize the narrative. Look, he cocaine, putting his hands on a woman all terribly bad things all things that makes me feel weird watching him fight but he can shift this narrative because dana says he deserves a second chance whatever but if he if he does this and he atones for his mistakes i don't know how you do that but this this story is eventually going to get forgotten and go away there's still going to be people mad but it won't be as many as they were initially pissed off they will forget about this and greg hardy will be competing in the ufc and be one of the bigger stars yeah i mean it's in a division. Once again, you make it as a heavyweight. You make it a lot of places. <laughs> and he can be infamous as much as you need to be famous. And people will tune in for that. They'll tune in to see, uh, you know, someone they believe is a woman beater get his ass whooped. And they'll do it over and over again to see if he can. We see, you know, the, the banter between him and Derek Lewis, Black Beast. Um, it, it, It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting ride. My thing is the guy is 30. A uh, little bit of a late start, doesn't have a fighting history. Obviously, he's in the top 1% of athletes. The guy was an incredible defensive end in the uh, NFL. Really, you know, got franchise tagged once, didn't really get to break the bank because of the domestic violence incident. Still collected that year's paycheck, I think 11 mil from the Cowboys. He's made more than an MMA fighter, you know, 90% of them will make in their career anyway. So he doesn't have to really go for the money and rush to the UFC. Um, I almost called it the UFC main roster. But I, I feel like a, a year, him debuting at 31, might, you know, you can only shelve the guy for so long. Sooner or later, you got to throw him into the fire. And then, what, you're going to put him in the UFC and have him work his way up from the 20s all the way up through two? I mean, it won't take long in the heavyweight division. You knock three people out, you're in the title. Yeah, I, I feel like he has to be fast-tracked like that. So we'll, we'll see, though. But that was crazy. Um you pass the eye test, though. And that's half the battle when you're fighting in the UFC. You pass the eye test. Dana White is backing you for now. Just don't fuck up again. You should be fine. Um, let's switch over to WWE. We have to preview TakeOver and Money in the Bank before we get out of here. But first, the worst era of WWE writing? Storytelling. Yes. Dre. I mean, we just had the, we had the, the Festival of Friendship. Mm, I'm talking about right. I'm talking about 2018. Talking about this year has been one of the worst years of storytelling I mean, in the, WWE history. The best storyline is the nutshot storyline, which doesn't bother me as much as it bothers everyone else. It, but here's what I'm saying. So people are like, I, what are you saying? They've acquired all this talent, right, to get us all excited. Yeah, thoroughly excited. 
We have no reason to care about anybody. Money in the Bank is a perfect example. WrestleMania is, is another great example. There has not been a legitimately good feud in 2018. There has not been a story that you care about in WWE's main roster in 2018. Good luck. If you can tell me one, good luck. Because the story has been the McMahon, Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan, which was terrible. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, which I don't know where that was going. Braun Strowman has literally had nothing to do but be a monster. There's no story behind Braun Strowman. No. There's nothing there. Bobby Roode being a babyface has been awful. Ronda Rousey has showed up, and now she's immediately thrust into the title picture, which is threatening to undermine the entire women's division. Asuka lost to Charlotte in a match that people got super hyped about that never kicked into the gear that it needed to go into, which led to Charlotte losing the following week to Carmella in the money to become the new champion. Yeah, I, I liked the match between Charlotte and Asuka, but the next week really shit on that match. So, so let's keep going here. Bobby Lashley's engaged in a terrible feud with Sami Zayn that is nothing but jokes and is completely undermining Bobby Lashley's athletic ability. It's crushing Lashley. I think Sami Zayn is hilarious. But, it's, but I'm saying there's nothing to care about. No. So I'm going to keep on moving. AJ Styles versus Nakamura. And you said this. Shinsuke Nakamura won the Royal Rumble. And it took until WrestleMania to get his title shot. And they used that match to build a feud and to turn Nakamura heel. But this, this feud is not white hot. It's not a feud that you're going, man, because you want to know why? Because you don't know why they're so pissed off at each other except for these nut punches. Exactly. There is, they haven't, there's been no, like, I don't like you because of A, B, and C, or this happened. Like, long-term storytelling does not exist. They jump from feud to feud. Nia Jackson and Alexa Bliss used the bully angle for WrestleMania. And they've completely blown that off to put Nia Jax in a feud with Ronda Rousey that makes her look like a bully again. <laughs> like That makes no damn sense. <laughs> let's keep going. Amber Moon, who is one of the great talents as a woman on the roster, has no story. She's no. going into this Money in the Bank match, but there's nothing going. But she's not killing it in ring. She, But, but I'm not talking about in ring. I'm talking about strictly storytelling to make you care because the All talent right. is there. Yeah. Sasha Banks and Bailey's feud is so... It's I'm done. So they it. passed over it. It's gone. Because Sasha Never. is included in this four-way and doesn't even care about Bailey anymore. Never hit a mark. Never hit anything to care about. Seth Rollins, who's putting in some of the great, greatest matches of his career, but there's no story heading into this Elias feud. They just built it a week ago. Yeah, before they should have gave that a bigger, a bigger build. Okay. Because I well, like it. I like the quick build. It would have been better if it was over a month. I'm, but I'm just saying, like, everything is moving so fast. Yeah. Samoa Joe has not been engaged in anything of substance. Uh, Roman Reigns has been fighting the fans. That's his, been his biggest feud because nobody wants to see him at the top. Your champion doesn't barely even show up. And the, WrestleMania show up. <laughs> match was, and the WrestleMania match was a complete dud as well as the build towards WrestleMania was a complete dud. What have, is there to care about? In the WWE in 2018, aside, I feel like they got all this talent, which is like, just let the talent do whatever. Finn Balor doesn't have a story. The demon's gone away. Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy are in a tag team that doesn't even make sense why they're in a tag team together. And it's a dumb idea. You have real tag teams. You have real, legit-ass tag teams, and you just threw two people together. Ooh, tag team wrestlers essentially dead. Against the B team. Against the B team. (laughs) 
one of your best stories is the return of Daniel Bryan, which was marred by a subpar match at WrestleMania, which has been rolled over into this feud with Big Cass, and nobody understands why it's even happening. No. You see what I'm getting at here? Like The storytelling has just been historically bad. Even in the, the eras where wrestling wasn't necessarily good, there was a story that kept you hooked. There was that one story where you had HBK and JBL when HBK was like, had to fight to, to make money because he was poor. There was like a story. <laughs> like the, Ric Flair, when he had to keep winning in order to keep his, uh, his career intact, but then he lost to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. There was emotions involved in this. There was no emotion involved in pro wrestling in 2018 in the WWE. It is it arguably, and I did some research and I, I was digging, I haven't seen an era of this bad storytelling in a long time long time where I care about nothing. Money in the Bank is a pay-per-view I'm about to watch, and I care about nothing on the card. I don't care what happens. They're, I'm not interested in any of this. Sadly, they're using the big five pay-per-views to start feuds when they have the luxury, and they've always had the luxury, right, of building feuds weekly. These other promotions don't have the luxury of building feuds every week. You have to be invested in these things like Okada versus... Omega, this is built over pay-per-view matches. And they don't have the, the constant banter back and forth that you need to build a feud. Um, Cody Omega was built over being the elite. They had to do that shit on YouTube to build a weekly angle to things. The WWE is just mismanaging their weekly angles and, and starting things at big-time pay-per-views. So it makes us watching every week feel like nothing. You could have watched WrestleMania, uh, that fucking greatest Royal Rumble, and Money in the Bank, and known everything you need to know about the AJ Nakamura feud. But again, it's, weekly it's not, television has built nothing on that. It's it's just not only that. There's nothing like the whole you know Stephanie McMahon Kurt Angle theory that fizzled out. Like everything has just been. Well, except we now we get Constable Corbin. Out of that whole feud. <laughs> but it's like you got a bunch of guys that nobody cares about. And it's become really problematic where it's just like, you know, from, from Royal Rumble to Nakamura winning, which was great. But then you really did nothing with him. And then he goes to WrestleMania and he turns heel for reasons that we still don't know. It just happened. And now he's in, in, in a feud where the biggest thing here is who can hit each other, who in the nuts the hardest. That's your heavyweight title feud? It's better like, than their other heavyweight title feud. Which is not one. Which is not existed. He doesn't have a you know what I'm saying? Like He's like, not on television. Jeff Hardy's the U.S. champion. Who cares? Yeah. Nothing has been done with Jeff Hardy as the U.S. champion. Because they're giving retread. Like, why, why does Jeff Hardy need a belt? Honestly, I'm just saying I, I, he came back. That's cool. Cute, but why? Why can't a guy like Sienna Almas get a belt? Bobby Roode have a belt? Like, you, why isn't Rollins your top guy opening the door for Sami Zayn? If Sami Zayn... And Bobby Lashley was for a belt, and Sammy was just an asshole heel with the belt. It at least make it for something, like it it, it elevated a bit. Bobby mm -hmm. Lashley would be doing these these feats of strength and these stupid contests to prove he was deserving of his title shot. What the hell is he proving with these things? Like, dude, like we're getting Roman Reigns versus Jinder Mahal right here. Why are they feuding? Uh, that's a good question. Because Roman Reigns needs to not get booed. I don't, like this is all I'm saying is like, I, I just looked from Royal Rumble to WrestleMania to beyond. We're it's we're we're halfway through 2018, and there has not been a single feud 
No. That I have been Styles like, and Nakamura is the best feud they've had. And and I don't like it at all. It doesn't but, bother me. I hate the timing. But overall, they've botched every angle that they had. They, their talent is getting stuck in the mud like Kevin Owens. The Bobby Roode's been misplaced, miscast. You go to Samoa Joe's just middling around being a bully, but really has nothing to do. Like, Asuka lost for what? I don't know. They're I'm, trying to build this feud with uh, Carmella, and I, I, I'm not invested in it at all. Because I don't believe Carmella should beat Asuka, so why am I invested in a feud? Asuka doesn't feel like an underdog. There, there's nothing there. There's nothing There's nothing with these. They're just having matches. They need Vince, to just put the title on people who are good and let them run. Dog, just give me a story. Give me something to care about. The Miz is one of your best mic workers. What is he doing? Where is he? Oh, he's in the Money in the Bank match. He is, but what? Like even before that, like he kind of talked to you know the four way match at WrestleMania, which was great, by the way. But what are we talking about? Okay, so if to get to the next WrestleMania, we better get Nakamura being Styles finally. Nakamura running over one person. I don't give a fuck who you give him. Let him win a feud, and then have Daniel Bryan challenge Nakamura. Daniel Bryan get the belt, and we get Miz winning Money in the Bank and cashing in on Daniel Bryan. I need this. If they don't do that shit, then we're just lost. Well, then they're just lost because you're not you're not going to get it because they, they we we not... need Daniel Bryan Miz championship program at WrestleMania. We need well, good luck. But we're we're in a historically bad element of, of storytelling. If y'all want to argue with me about it on Twitter, I'm here for it because, dude, I've looked through years and years of wrestling. First six months of 2018 have been absolutely terrible. Let's talk about Money in the Bank and NXT because I got shit to do, and this is a long show. It is. It is a long show. Uh, I promised someone two hours on Twitter. We, we definitely got there. Um, let's do NXT TakeOver. And TakeOver Chicago, we've been critical of it before because we just didn't understand some of the matchmaking. But I, once again, an H I trust, and I think this will all lead to something. So I'm, I'm keeping an open mind about it. Uh, let's go. Undisputed Era, Kyle Riley, Roger Strong versus Oni Lorkin and Danny Burch. To me, Undisputed Era is taking the belts out of here. There's no reason for them to lose the belts, especially to Lorkin and Burch. Um, I expect some type of swerve. Either Lorkin turns and joins the Undisputed Era, or we see the Undisputed Era's next feud open up. I don't think we see either of those things. I think the Undisputed Era wins. I just think were, this is kind of like what I just mentioned on the main roster. Like All three title matches are not appealing to me on this card. And like this one, especially because Lorkin and Burt were never considered a threat to anything. No. And the fact that this is happening is just like, well, we just need something for somebody to do. Well, I'd rather the Street Profits get the nod then. Like, Ooh, or someone, yeah, like they had a nice little run through the tournament and then that's it. Like, Good. I mean, if you need a face tag team, why not give the run to Street Profits? Heavy Machinery could have done it. Um, you know, or drag out the Heavy Machinery versus uh, what's-his-face feud. That that would have been fine. I understand you need a face um, team to go on. You're building TM61 or The Mighty now, which should have been a name the entire time. Uh, you're building The Mighty into a heel tag team. I like that. But, you know, there's not a face champion right now. So I understand you got to build these things, but there's other teams you could have put in this spotlight to make them feel bigger than they are. And I don't think Lorkin and Birch fit that mold. And I like Lorkin. He put in the work. He's been, you know, really grinding and kind of being somewhat enhancement talent. So you're throwing him a bone to be on a pay-per-view, but I don't know why Birch is his partner. Birch has nothing special to me. This this whole UK thing. It makes it even weirder because Pete Dunne's not involved in any of this, which I fully expect Pete Dunne to come make a run in during this match. 
Um, but other than that, yeah, this should be an easy win for the Undisputed. Not easy. I think it'll be a good match. Don't yeah. get me wrong. No, Lorcan's um, going to show out. And I, yeah. Birch is okay. Um, but no, yeah, I think Undisputed Era wins. Then we have Ricochet versus Velveteen Dream, which is the best built feud of the weekend for WWE. No, it's not. It's the second best. Oh, second Gargano. best. I mean, Gargani on Ciampa. Okay. Yeah. True. But no, this has been, this has actually been very good, but it, all credit to Velveteen Dream. And they're I mean, hilarious on Twitter building this shit up, by the way. They are. But Velveteen Dream has just become a revelation. Like between him and Bianca Belair, they, these are two performance center talents that are can't miss to be. And they're both black. Isn't that some shit? But uh, it's like they're they're too good, and this this match should be really good. Um, I expect Velveteen Dream to be super over, and Ricochet's athletics to be on full display. Um, I'm gonna say that Ricochet wins this because he's still, you know, Velveteen. He's at a point already where he can lose, and it's like, all right, he'll he'll need to win eventually, but he can lose this particular match. I thought he won think... his last one. Or no, the last one was ladder match. He won the feud yeah. before then, so he's fine. He'd be catching on up. Yeah, but everybody's catching on. He's an enhancer talent now. He's, he's he's there to make people look good. But he, he can does. Lose, he can lose this match. Velveteen Dream will lose this match. Ricochet, because he's not the great promo cutter that Velveteen has become, he needs to just have phenomenal matches, and I think they can pull that off. Yeah, this might be match of the night entering. No, um, Gargano Champa. That's just going to be a fight. Like again, I can't compare. It's not going to be a wrestling match. Like it's just just going to be a fight. I, it's going to be different. I, I think Ricochet VLT Dream will steal the show. All right, um, what else? And then we have uh, Alistair Black versus Lars Sullivan. See? Uh, Sullivan, got- Sullivan has to lose. And I see the big show anger. And, you know, Sullivan's been crushing Black lately. And I don't know how good this match is going to be. It's probably be one of Alistair Black's worst matches. Well, yeah, this is the uh, the tried and true formula of new champion, put him against the biggest indestructible opponent and have him beat him. And it's like body slam and Andre the Giant. That's what I call these moments, the body slam Andre the Giant thing. Everybody, every champion, mostly in WWE history, their first feud is against some big guy. <laughs> Mark Henry, Andre, uh, the big show, Kane. whoever, Kane. It's always a big guy. And you got to, Ken's a little guy, beat the big guy. Ray Mysterio, can you beat the big show? Same thing here. Oh, he can stop the black mat. I don't care about this feud. Alistair Black will go over here. Um, and they need to put him in an important feud because I don't want to see him wasted, which you have mentioned, like Dalton Castle was ra- wasted in ROH as a champion. Yeah. Alistair Black is a good champion. He's a good wrestler. He needs a better feud than this. Hopefully they'll figure it out by SummerSlam. Plenty of people to give him feuds against. Uh, I would love to see him versus EC3, and I don't want to see it as a one-off. I, I want to see that carry on for, like, you know, maybe two takeovers or so, two or three. Um, it's been a while since they've done that, right? But two yeah. or three, outside of Gargano Ciampa, a few that last two or three takeovers, so I, I like that aspect. Shayna Baszler versus Nikki Cross. Um, this is the one match Shayna Baszler is going to win, setting her up for a real feud against a real baby face. I don't know if it's, you know, Candice LeRae, who is the ultimate baby face. Um, Bianca Belair is kind of the hottest talent, like you just mentioned, but she's uh, she's not a face. She's like a tweener. So I don't I don't see her going against Shayna. And they did a good job building up uh, the Pirate Princess. And I liked her feud on NXT television. The best out of three. That was cool. But I'm not sure if she beats Baszler again. So... Um, yeah, I think Nikki Cross is going to show up, though. Nikki Cross can wrestle. I like the gimmick. I have loved these promos. They're not going to let her win, but I, I like what she's going to do, and hopefully they have a nice niche for her on the main roster whenever she does move up. 
Yeah, I think he should probably move up immediately after this. Yeah, because Sanity hasn't debuted yet. They'll bring Sanity along sooner or later, and she'll fit right back in. Honestly, she didn't miss anything from staying down. No, she so didn't. So staying down is fine. Like, she, she hasn't missed shit. So, yeah, I, I mean, Shayna Baszler, this is a feud against an established talent where Shayna Baszler's like, I'm the new champion who's a former little opponent, and here comes crazy Nikki Cross. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm crazy, and I've been here for a while, so beat me up. And that's what's going to happen. Shayna Baszler will beat Nikki Cross, and it makes Shayna Baszler look like a badass. Sarah, Sarah, we move on. Yeah, Nikki Cross going to make that look good, though. She can. And then we have main event, Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa. Chicago street fight. It's going to be a fight. It's not going to mm-hmm. be a match. This shit's going to be a fight. We're going to be emotionally invested. Um, Candice Ray will probably take a bump. Get put through a table or some shit. Dudley Boy style. I, I don't know. It's going to be incredible. Um, and this will probably be the end of the feud. And I wouldn't mind Aleister Black, Tommaso Ciampa feud for the belt after this. Uh, even though that seems like a one-off in itself. But I, I don't know, man. This is going to be good. This is going to be really good. And we're, we've been blessed to have two really good feuds this past year and a half with, you know, Okada, Omega, getting you invested in that being incredible, and Gargano Ciampa getting you invested being incredible. Um, two really good brands brought us two really good feuds. And NXT is completely separate from WWE, in my opinion. So you weren't counting them in the bad writing of 2018, right? No. Just okay, yeah. Just May Ross. So yeah, no. So yeah, completely different in my mind as well. So yeah, it's, um, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... That I, actually, I'm hoping that this feud doesn't end here. I'm thinking that Ciampa should get this victory, and they should carry it out to possibly the first NXT Hell in the Cell match. That's my thinking right now because I can't necessarily see Ciampa losing. He's man, he's ultra hot right now. He doesn't year. even have music. I he love does. that shit. He just comes out to a chorus of booze. <laughs> it, it's amazing, and it's like that kind of heat and that kind of story. Like eventually, you got to blow off the feud. But this is what I talk about with storytelling. This story has been told for over a year now, and nobody's tired of it. We're just getting more and more invested in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you need to blow it off at this particular one. Like, I think we're, SummerSlam's in L.A. this year, so that means NXT is Brooklyn. in LA? Brooklyn, Brooklyn. This is the last Brooklyn, I think, next year's right. L.A. They're, they're moving to um, stadiums. Like that's that's right. So why wouldn't you have the first the blow-off of this feud in a Hell in a Cell in NXT's first ever Hell in a Cell in Brooklyn. Why blow it off now? It's too good to blow off. Yeah, and Brooklyn's right around the corner. It's crazy, but it's two so, months. So, I mean, you yeah, know, why not? So, so I think Ciampa will get this one by hook or crook, probably by crook, even though it's a street fight. And that's when they say, you know what? we got to keep these two guys in a cage of some sort. It'll be their first Hell in a Cell match. I can't see any of the stipulation match that really makes sense except for that one. So hopefully they pull it off. But ultimately, if we're looking at this in a vacuum, I think Ciampa has to win it uh, to even the score one-to-one and draw even more heat onto himself. Yeah, I just want to see, like, the ultimate Green Goblin Peter Parker finish where, like, Mary Jane is, like, dangling and shit. Like, I need to see that NXT version. I need to see, like, Tommaso Ciampa about to wreck Candice LeRae because we all know she can take a bump and Gargano just sacrificing himself and losing because of that. It's a good... Very good awesome. Yeah, good... You can never go wrong with using a Spider-Man ending to carry on a feud. Just my point of view. So that's uh, NXT. You know what? On paper, it's one of the worst um, cards they've had. But I think it'll deliver. All in all, it it always does, right? So um, Money in the Bank is next. And this is where we kind of get a little weird. Because it is a deep card. Like, there's a lot of matches on this shit. Um, Which is... 
somewhat surprising in itself. We have a couple of title matches. Let's see where we're going to start. We have the Good Brothers, which I feel like this was just added, versus the Bludgeon Brothers. This had to be added like yesterday. I didn't even know this was happening. Like, uh, they don't have a few, right? Like, Bludgeon Brothers haven't even been on TV. They've just been ominous. Um, so I think that's where we start. Should be a pre-show match. Bludgeon Brothers versus the Good Brothers. Lou Gallo's in amazing shape, by the way. He, yeah, he's been in amazing shape since he knew he was coming to WWE. But, yeah, all in all, this is just something to get Bludgeon Brothers over. There's no reason for this feud. And, yeah, Bludgeon Brothers should retain. Yeah, should be a decent match. Let's see if they let Carl Anderson go full machine gun. Um, it should be okay for a pre-show. Not mad at that for a pre-show match. It could have been worse for a pre-show match. Um, then we have a long-ass main card. Um, no 205 Live match, which is weird to me. Yeah. Because um, they've been killing it down there. If you haven't watched that, watch it. It's actually been really good. Um, then we have, let's see, where do we start? Bobby Lashley versus Sami Zayn. I mean, Lashley's got to go over, doesn't he? After he's been ridiculed. And- yeah, Sami Zayn doesn't have to win. No, <laughs> like, he- I mean, but dude, Bobby Lashley as a babyface sucks. Uh, but that being said, yeah, he should go over on Sami Zayn, he muscle man, blah blah blah. Yeah, Sami Zayn will sell, so it'll be cool. Um, Seth Rollins versus Elias, IC title. Yeah, there's no way Seth's losing to Elias. Um, there's Elias no reason- is so over though. <laughs> he is, but you know he doesn't need to win this match. Seth no. Rollins needs to keep this title and legitimize it in great matches. So Seth well, Rollins, it's their only title right now, so it's kind of important. Yeah. That someone carries it and wrestles every week. Uh, Roman Reigns versus Jinder Mahal. Come on. Yeah, it's going to be Roman Reigns. Yeah, it's not even yeah, a question. Yeah, but dude, this is the match. I, I, like, I really don't care about this match. No. Bathroom break match. Um, yeah. What else do we have? Carmella versus Asuka. Oh, man. You know. Carmella's going to win this shit, isn't she? That's what I'm really cur- concerned with. Because it. If Oscar wins, it makes her losing to Charlotte make even less sense. Which which has been their the MO since she lost them. Right. What so can make like, less sense? Let's let's just go full bore with not making any sense. I think Carmel's gonna get herself DQ'd, to be honest with you. I think she gets DQ'd and retains the title. Don't know how. Um there's rumors of James Ellsworth coming back. There's there's been poking around the internet. Oh Jack lord. That'd be horrible. I doubt it, but uh, you know. We'll see. we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Nia Jax versus Ronda Rousey. We, uh, by the way, I agree with you on all of these. Uh, I think Carmella wins too, which is just shitty for Asuka. But I think they'll probably let her win at SummerSlam. So whatever it takes to continue the feud until then. Yeah, yeah. So we have Rousey versus Nia Jax. Um, man, I, I expect this to end in shenanigans. I think, uh, I think Natalia wins Money in the Bank, even though... She just picked up the victory on Raw, which is usually the death knell for winning at a pay-per-view the following uh, Sunday. But I think she still wins. I think she cashes in immediately on Nia Jax, or whoever wins, cashes in immediately on Nia Jax, costing Rousey the title and sparing her her first loss. And I think Nia loses to them. Yeah, I think Natalia probably wins as well, depending on where this match is positioned on the card. But... I think the funny thing that I think will happen is Nia Jax actually retains by beating Natalia, which ruins her cashing in. And that's how, you know, uh, Nia keeps the title and then Rousey and Natalia can feud without the title on the line. Because also, dude, Ronda doesn't need the title. 
Not Why yet. would we do that? Yeah, but no, I mean, it's a very Vince thing to just put on her in SummerSlam in New York it is. to get the headlines. And if Natalia's champion, you can have her beat Natalia quick. And then Charlotte, for some reason, moves over and we get the Survivor Series match. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happens. Yeah. And then setting up their WrestleMania match, which probably headlines, if you listen to the dirt sheets, which is fucking incredible. That it takes Ronda Rousey to get Charlotte into a headlining match, which really should be her and Sasha Banks. Um... So then we have Daniel Bryan versus Big Cass. Well, it's got to be Daniel Bryan. Yeah, Big Cass can't win this. But I don't know. Big Cass kind of punked out the last time. So could this be a win for Big Cass and then we get a blow off next? They love 50 50 booking. Yeah, I don't don't think they need to do that with this. I I think they need to quickly move on from this to put Daniel Bryan in a more important feud. All right. I think uh, I'm pick Big Cass in that one, though. 50 50 booking reigns supreme. And then whatever the next pay-per-view is will be built around those two guys and Dan O'Brien wrecking him. Then we have AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. (laughs) Last man standing match. I think this is going to be their best match. You laugh. I think this is going to be the best match. I think this is what they're building up for. I think uh, Shinsuke finally goes over. He finally wins. And I think they put on a show. Like, uh, yeah, it'll be built around some of the nut shots and Oh, my God, the teasing, the groin punches, and maybe they both land them and both get up at the last second. But uh, I I think we see one hell of a match. I think it's going to be stiff. I I think it's going to be really, really good. And Nakamura finally pulls it off. It's funny. I actually agree with you. I think this is going to be a great match. I just hated the storytelling to get to this point. But I do think if you don't put the title on Nakamura now, I just don't know what the hell you're doing. You've gone through too much with him losing, losing, losing DQs. Put it on him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just I, I don't know maybe I don't know what you got to do to do, get there I don't know exactly how you keep AJ's down for a 10 count um, but go ahead let's put this title on Shinsuke Nakamura with this last man standing match I think it'll be a great match I think so too um, I would love to see a non-title feud AJ versus Samoa Joe after this and give someone else to Nakamura um, but yeah man that's it's going to be a great match match of the night in my opinion uh, if I had to call something early then we have the men's money in the bank ladder match for the world championship uh, this is kind of tough. I think Big E is the entrant for the New Day. I agree. Not Kofi Kingston, even though Kofi's like the master of the ladders, right? Yep. So you would think Kofi would be in, but I think this is the, the first step to get Big E some uh, solo push. And I would like it to be for the United States Championship. He doesn't have to be the main champion right away, but let's give him that belt. New Day can go, you know, maybe one, at one point all three have belts instead of the free bird rule down the line. But uh, I think Big E takes his first step there. Men's, uh, I'm picking Raw for the women's to get ahead of myself a little bit. So I will go SmackDown for the men's and give me The Miz. Yeah, I was, uh, what the fuck? I just built this whole thing earlier about The Miz. The Miz is going to win and somehow it'll lead to him and Daniel Bryan feuding at WrestleMania. I'd like to say The Miz, but I think he's won this thing already, so I don't want to give it to him. Braun Strowman is too obvious to win. Can't see him climbing a ladder, much less retain, getting this and needing to cash in the money in the bank. So it leaves me, leaves me with two people. Um, and Finn Balor is like the third option. It leaves me with either Samoa Joe or Kevin Owens. And I'm starting to think that it's going to be Samoa Joe. And the, and, the reason why, and the reason why is I think the winner has to be on SmackDown. Is your love for Samoa Joe? No. No. I, I think it, because, all right. Kevin Owens winning the Money in the Bank on Raw to cash in on Brock Lesnar doesn't make much sense. Although I think Kevin Owens would be wildly entertaining with the Money in the Bank briefcase. It'd be so great. So that could happen. But I think 
if you want to give Samoa Joe something to do in the in the looming threat of him cashing in at any moment being a bully, I think that could be the way to go. I doubt it's going to happen. That's what I'd like to see happen. So and remember that what? Brock Lesnar could lose in SummerSlam. And he could. you can cash in against someone entirely different. If Roman Reigns, for some reason, God-forsaken reason, gets another shot at SummerSlam, or Bobby Lashley, and, you know, so Lesnar can say, I'm going to UFC. Dana White seems really, really sure that Lesnar is going to fight again. So, so, who knows? So, I want Samoa Joe, but my gut is telling me, my, my gut of guts is telling me it's going to be Kevin Owens and Finn Balor. And I'm going to go with Kevin Owens because I just think they really need to give him something entertaining to do. And him with a briefcase threatening to cash in and eventually winning the title by cashing in would be the right way to go. I don't think they have big plans for Samoa Joe in that sense. So I'm going to say Kevin Owens is going to win, but I really want to see Samoa Joe with that briefcase. I'll take the Miz. My dark horse is Finn Balor if I had to pick a second runner-up. Because, um, yeah, Finn, Finn Balor, I think they're saving the demon, and they've just been saving it and saving it and saving it. If you need someone to beat uh, Braun Strowman, or excuse me, Braun Strowman, if you need someone to beat uh, Brock Lesnar, and you want to build a smaller guy or, you know, a guy for the next phase. And they've been so high on Finn Balor and then cooled off. And nothing will be bigger for Finn Balor than him showing up as the demon and beating Brock Lesnar. And, and putting him over that way. That'd be incredible. It's, I mean, the last guy to beat Brock Lesnar by pin was uh, Eddie Guerrero. And you got that same thing where you're like, yo, it built him into such a big star. And uh, it'd be huge for Finn Balor. It'd be huge for the demon character. Because, uh, you know, the mere man Finn Balor wouldn't beat him. It'd be the demon beating him, which would give so much cred to that persona. And, uh, yeah, man, you build a star for a long time if you do that. And that'd be amazing. But I, And I don't trust Vince to do it. I, I really don't. So I think The Miz is the smart way to go. Um, women's match. Last which I, one. Think is, I think this is going to be amazing. But I think we both agree that Talia is probably going to win. However... Her, her winning and tapping someone on Raw really just... It's like, damn it, you really had to do that? Like, did you just throw me off the trail? Is this a red herring? It's possible. But, you know, it'd be really... In my, in my mind, I'm like, it'd be really nice to see Ember Moon win this. She's been so team. hot lately. Yo, she when she did the tope into Sasha Banks on Raw, one, I thought she was going to kill herself. And two, it was the fastest I've seen a woman move. I thought she was a yeah. fast forward. She's, she's an incredible talent. I'd, I'd like to see Sasha win this as well. Um, but I just feel like everything hovers around Ronda Rousey right now, and Natalia's too obvious to be the one to feud with Ronda next. So Any chance Charlotte wins it because Charlotte does everything first? No, no, no. I don't, think, I don't think it's even necessary for Charlotte to win it. I don't think so. It just seemed like a very Vince move. That's what I was it saying. Could, you're right, it could be, but I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think it's necessary. But, you know, a cash-in with a Ronda champion at Mania might be the thing. I don't, I don't know. It's unnecessary, like you said. Like, you can build that shit without it. But it seems like a very Vince move. Um, Becky Lynch has been busting her ass. It'd be cool to see her as Mrs. Money in the Bank. This one, at least, we have no Carmellas in this. Yep. There, there is no one that wins. Hell, Naomi could win. And be like, oh, I see it. Well, except for Lana. Lana? Oh, Lana isn't. Oh, you can't get Lana number one. No, Lana, Lana can't win. Very, very, I lost my accent last week on SmackDown Lana, but whatever. Listen, she's starting to pop and lock. She's been Americanized. That and Total Demons, man. It gets you out of Russia real quick. Russia ain't hot no more. It's all about yeah. being from America. Uh, yeah, man. So those, those are our predictions. We'll see. Hopefully the weekend lives up to the hype. It's going to be hard to top Dominion. I'm not even going to hold money in the bank to that standard. 
I just want fun matches. I want to be shocked. NXT is going to be the star of the weekend as far as in-ring. But I, you know, I just, I'm hoping the best out of money in the bank. But either way, one hell of a month for pro wrestling. And I think ROH had something to close out the month. Um, so we, we're getting a treat this month as far as pro wrestling fans. If you guys don't have New Japan, get it. So you can pack your weekend. Watch it on Friday. And uh, make sure you get caught up on everything. That's our show for today. As long as hell. Over two hours. We promised it. Thank you guys for listening. Once again, follow us on social media. At the corner of LSN on all platforms. Me, at Kel Dansby. Him, at Andreas Hill. We're out. Peace. On the corner.